Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Good, Andy. Another day, another dollar. Or a couple beers. Today we're going to uh, remember uh, the long, illustrious Cubs career of David Bodie. Remember that time he hit the walk-off Grand Slam? Do I? And then remember the time he stepped on the baseball and separated his shoulder? Actually, we can't do I, it yet because he hasn't been cut. He's merely been sent back to Iowa. He he probably will be back at some point. But I do recall he had another big homer around this time in a weekday afternoon yes, game against was Brad a, Boxberger. Yeah, and then one pitch later, right? So he tied it. Anthony Rizzo. Later, Anthony uh-huh. Rizzo walked it yeah. off. So he was a little clutchy. Not, I mean, the Grand Slam is the one thing that, like, when people are doing – long after we're gone, Andy, and there are two other assholes that are uh, remembering, you know, some real shitty seasons. Of course, this this is part of the golden era, but it was still, you know, decaying oh, a little it'll bit. Be a fun, well, no, it'll be a fun season, remember. That, well, it was 17, right? Uh, it would have been uh, – no, 18, 18. Oh, it was uh, that was the day, yeah, because they, that was when Bodie was also the starting third baseman in a fucking playoff game. Oh. And the second baseman was Daniel Murphy, which showed me, oh my God, two years after the World Series, we've got Daniel Murphy and David Bodie in the starting infield of a coin flip game, which, like, that was probably more of a warning sign than I wanted to probably admit at the time. Well, and they, but, they had lost the day before, which forced them into the coin right. flip game. Right. Yeah. Well, and they basically the whole month of September was that painful slog. And, I mean, luckily. They could not score a point. Well, they were still over five. They weren't like they didn't tank. No, but you the know, Brewers the, wouldn't the Brewers had a shitty schedule, hotter than shit. Yeah. And then I just traced it all the way back to the Labor Day game and Carl Edwards after Rizzo had been what the first left hander to ever homer off to, uh, off of now former brewer Josh Hader to like take a turn a game around and take a lead in the late innings and Edwards couldn't find the strike zone and it was Labor Day, right? Did you yeah. Labor Day? Yeah, Labor Day. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that yeah, was the game where Chris Bryant it decided, he, with, could, decided yes, he could get Lorenzo Kane on a double play, play instead of just throwing yes. home. Yeah. I thought it was Yelich, but you're right, it was Kane. Either one would be questionable. But, you know. Fun t- good times. But we're not going to remember See, that crap. We're going to remember other crap. We're going to remember older crap than that. That's too fresh. Yeah. Let it breathe. Uh, so we are down to six seasons. And, Six seasons. Uh, last week we did the '88 Cubs, which was uh, which was actually kind of fun. That was a, you know, that was an, that was an interesting team. And then it, it really was, promise, yeah. And then '89 was was a lot of fun, and the '90 wasn't. 
but uh, we, we could pull up 90 today. And I actually should add that oh, I right. see 80 on the wheel. Oh, yeah. I, I, I see what's also on the wheel is 87, which we can't, we can't do can't tonight. Do believe it or not, there's still a season that's adjacent to a season we just discussed. So it's our, own, our own phony baloney rules where we will not, where when we do a season the next week, we will not do one year before or after if it comes up. We will re I mean, how many Dave Martinez stories can you really hear in a 10 day period, seven day period? I got, I got more Cronkab dress jokes, so we'll be all good. Well, I'm sure they'll still be just as relevant when it, it uh, falls on it within the rules, our rules. Uh, let's see. So I, I can tease some things. Um, we we got our next movie deep dive with Mike Pusateri. That's coming up. We're going to do Field of Dreams. We have to hurry up and do that. I don't know why we have to hurry up and do it before the game. I mean, you could maybe the game would be like, "Ooh, I wish there was a movie deep dive about this movie that they're that they're reenacting, kind of uh, with a bunch of double A players on two teams." Um, Oh my god, that game has gotten even so much worse. I didn't even realize that till Oh yeah, the you just Reds are basically it. you know that's basically a semi pro team at this point. It was uh it was a dog when it was announced. It was unbelievably terrible. And then the baseball, I just they announced, you know, famously the in twenty twenty the Cubs and the Cardinals were gonna play in London. And that got uh, pandemic out. In fact I have a friend who her and her husband and their kids were going. They had a they planned a whole European it was like just like Clark and uh, the rest of the Griswolds, they were European vacation. Yep. They had to cancel that. So I have a feeling they'll try to go to this one. But it's like, hey, baseball, the Cubs are actively trying not to win. Don't reward them with these marquee games because they'll ruin them. But baseball's dumb. So, yeah. of course, you got to shove the Cubs in there. I believe our friend Oleg also had tickets to, or to that game, or, or he was planning on going. Uh, so maybe maybe he'll be a sucker he next still, year. Didn't no one has seized his passport? He still can travel. <laughs> Believe it or not, yeah, flying under the radar somehow. Yeah, he's going to end up in a Turkish prison. That's what's going to happen. There it is. Well, maybe get traded for Brittany Griner. Um. Yes, yeah, so there's that, and then um, we're going to have a. I'm we're gonna have a in two weeks. Dave Brown is gonna be on vacation, so I have a special guest lined up for the baseball podcast that week. That'll be fun. Ooh, is uh, it the ghost someone, of Bill Jouse? Someone Sorry. who is uh, it's a Dave Jouse actually. Um, the someone who has never been on the podcast ever. So um, that'll be fun. And I guess that's about it. I think I've run out of things to tease. Soon it'll be football season, and we'll yeah. have, we'll have to have the Bear podcast will come back. And remember this crap. We'll have to shift uh, to football, and oh, it's. I'm looking forward to it. I will say that I haven't really. It's best to not really kind of think. Just just consider the fact that football is coming. Don't think too much about how the Bears were last year and what they might be up to this year. What did I say? The NFL. You can you can turn it around every year, but it seems like the Bears are coming the closest possible thing to a tank. But I, where, doesn't. I mean, I'll talk about it more when when I actually do a football podcast. But I think the Bears actually are have more talent on this team this year than they did last year. Okay. I don't expect a much better win loss, but I expect a more competent okay. football team. Well, and I was going to say, regardless of all of those facts, it doesn't change the fact that, especially in seasons uh, baseball seasons like this, you just can't fucking wait for football to start. So. No, I don't care. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, that, Bring it, on. it would require them to actually um, uh, have Roquan Smith on the field would be good. That would be nice. And Because I look at, like, um, 
you got the, yeah, they don't have Khalil Mack or Allen Robinson. You didn't get anything out of either one of those guys last year. Khalil's hurt, missed most of the season. Was hurt when he played, and, and Robinson and mystifyingly Robinson could not kind of you know, wasn't you know you which, forgot he was there for. Well, not to make this the Bears podcast, but I remember going into the season thing, thinking to myself, one more good year out of Robinson, and he may be the best receiver of my lifetime. Now we're gonna put all of our all of our hope in Darnell Mooney. Clock's ticking, Darnell. Five foot nine inch Darnell Mooney. He's Johnny Morris size. So okay. As well. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Darnell's a nice player. Hope at some point they're gonna he's gonna need to be their number two wide receiver. But we'll, well, either we'll, way, I can't wait to they. watch. I don't so want to let you know. There's one football observation that I want to make, and that's I know why they do it, but I find it super irritating that while the Bears are practicing, all you see are tweets of like the writer standing on the sidelines, instant analysis of what's going on in practice. It's like, look, guys, I you don't know what the fuck you're looking at. You really don't. Like, you're watching a few plays out of practice when they let them watch right. it. And you, do, like, oh, it was a great play. But I said, was it? Or was it a terrible play by the, you know. Every play is either a great play by the defense or the offense or a terrible play by the offense or the defense. And it's like, it's I, get, I get it. This is the only content you guys have, but it's worthless. This content is completely worthless. I agree. There's no, uh, there's no context. There's no, I mean, you, it, it, you're, you're going over random, you know, basically a sequence of just isolated plays. It means nothing. It's right. just not worth reporting. Because I know from my extensive, uh, especially this early, my yeah. extensive football career, there would be oh, times in practice where the coach would basically tell the quarterback, um, "You're, you're going to throw this whether he's open or not." You know. Put it, make him go up and get it. Or there would be times where it's like, okay, you literally the part of the drill is to um, identify, and if it's nothing, they're going to throw it away. And it's literally what practice you don't, is for. When you watch practice, you have no idea if there's anything like that. Like he's like, oh, look at Joseph Fields; these are terrible throws. He's trying to squeeze it in. Is he trying to squeeze it in because the purpose of it was, let's see if he can fucking squeeze it in? Because it, sometimes it is, and it's just. Or I love it. Then they're like, well, you know, in non-contact practices where the running backs look great. Well, I would fucking hope so. I would hope David Montgomery looks awesome. You know what? He also looks slow. That's what he looks. No matter if they're tagging him or not, he looks slow because he is. So, all right, still that's enough. Still, still that's enough wait. bear chat. Now we can still can't wait to watch David Montgomery. I like him, but I mean, I, just... I, I know our old our old bear podcast co-host Kyle Morris and I are in complete agreement on this, which is this has to be his last year as a bear. Because okay. you shouldn't, you probably shouldn't ever pay a second contract on a running back in the NFL these days, but especially not a guy who's not like a superstar running fast, back. Fa- yeah, right. Like even you, fast he's a good player, but I guarantee you, you can approximate ninety-five percent of him with somebody else, and don't pay him a lot of money to be him when you can pay somebody a lot less money to be almost him. I feel like they went from like Jeremy Langford to Jordan Howard to him like and it didn't really they were they were none of them were shitty i mean they not to disrespect they all seem a little bit interchangeable and they're good for a few years and that's the life of a running back well yeah i mean i think they he made a comment today that we got a really good running back room and i'm like yeah and they will next year when you're gone it's not that hard to to stock a running back room it's It's, i think we've proven that it's just not so there are positions where you pay and positions where you don't. And running back, whether you like it or not, 
is a position where you don't. I mean, he's not Derrick Henry. He's Dave Montgomery. So, and honestly, it- honestly, you could make a case that the Titans probably shouldn't have paid um, Derrick Henry. So, mm-hmm. anyway, that's we're talking way too much football. Does Does this conclude that the ten minute Bears pre the appetizer? Yes, <laughs> an ancient Cubs season, possibly ancient. Well, let's see how ancient it is. That won't be 87. Nope. All right, let's get this one out of the way. <laughs> it's fine. I already teased it by talking about how 88 was fun and 89 was really fun and 90 wasn't. And that's what we landed on, 1990. So I uh, got five quick facts about the 1990 Cubs. Sure. I just, some things that I just can't, I can't peel from my brain opening day facts. Mike Balecki was the opening day starter. And that's only because there was a lockout that sort of disjointed the whole spring training of the season. Also for the second consecutive year, uh, opening day center fielder, Jerome Walton, but mysteriously quite heavier and uh, defending rookie of the year. um, Didn't quite have as good of a season as you'd have before. What did happen for the third consecutive season is that the Cubs enjoyed the runner up for the rookie of the year. uh, Young Mike Harkey. Who, uh, who battled David Justice for the awards uh, before coming up short. Probably his best season as a Cub. Uh, what else can we think about 1990? I'm just going to throw it out. I'm going to guess, was Seth Landrum on the 1990 Cubs? I'm going to say yes. And if I'm wrong, sue me. And uh, I'm just going to say. I think we have to sue you. Yep. <laughs> the, the, all right, fine. The well, fifth fact would be. Real quick. Yeah, I don't see Seth. Okay, I can try to make it up because I have to say, in spite of the fact that it was on the heels of a winning season, it was not a memorable season in any sense, in spite of what you might think could have been all the excitement that was going into it. I will say that the All-Star Game was held at Wrigley Field in 1990. That's fact four, since we had to excise my Sudlandrum fake news. And that fact five, Ryan Sandberg won the home run hitting contest with, I believe, two... I think or I think it three. might have been three. I think it was three. Can we forget start with that? How I want to get it out of the run derbies were when they first started them. And before we go down that rabbit, I'm just going to say that I found it validating, in spite of how boring it was, only because Wrigley Field still totally had a reputation, probably well earned in relation to all of those big ass cookie cutter football stadium baseball parks as a hitter's park, which it really isn't now, no more than so many other of the modern parks. But 19, it was always considered a bit of a novelty. Uh, and I don't think, you know, it certainly wasn't even that well earned at the time. And what, and, and within that backdrop, I'm just remembering how these, you know, in, in retrospect, and probably even at the time, uh, we all could probably knew how roided up uh, Tony La Russa's Oakland A's were, and the Bash Brothers, and Mark McGuire, and Jose Canseco. And I remember Canseco. This, this had to be the him in Boston. At the peak. Flexing because they were changing it, steroids. Yeah. It. Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, this goes back, you know, I mean, steroids were a thing in the NFL and nobody really considered it in football, I think, by then, but it was or baseball, but it was kind of obvious. But I just remember thinking how disrespectful Jose Canseco was because he was at the peak of his celebrity. He was at the peak of his role player. It was just being a baseball player. He was a couple of years removed from being the first ever 40 40 guy. He was, he was pretty impressive. Um, and it was short lived for 
again, obvious reasons, but by 1990, guy comes into Wrigley Field at this ballpark that everyone thinks is this, this cute little novelty, you know, um, you know, that belongs in a menagerie. And he's like, oh, I am going to feast. And guess what Jose Canseco didn't count on? The fact that even in mid-July, the wind was fucking blowing in and all of those majestic high fly balls. He may not have hit that many, but still, he couldn't fucking hit shit that day. Sandberg, of course, even though some somebody, I think Tom Verducci, supposedly tried to ding him for a lot of his home runs being over those short power alleys. Yes, Wrigley Field does have short power alleys. They're also they also try to compensate for it by having the longest distance down the lines. Yeah. But Sandberg at least knew strategically, even though he only had to hit three, because those other fucks were just too in love with themselves. That wind or no wind. You can just pop the ball into those power alleys. I don't even know if Sandberg's homers went there. I just know that he knew with the wind in, he knew how to fucking play it, and uh, you know he didn't have the sizzle of a Canseco, but still fucking so took it there out. There were there were eight people in the home run derby in nineteen ninety four in each league. It's a star studded, like career home run wise. There's a shitload of home runs on this. There's the American League alone: Mark McGuire, Ken Boom. Griffey Jr., Boom. Jose Canseco, and Cecil Fielder. Wow. Okay. And Cecil. Yeah. Do you know how many home runs those four guys combined for in the home run derby? That's it's. Uh, Is it fewer than ten? It's almost two. Well, it's probably like eighteen hundred career home runs, and the four of them hit. What did you guess? uh, Fewer than ten. I was curious if it was a single digit or double digit. Uh, They combined to hit one home run. Wow. Mark McGuire hit one homer. Griffey hit none. Canseco hit none, and Cecil hit none. The National League team was Ryan Sandberg, Matt Williams, Bobby Bonilla, and Daryl Strawberry. And how many did they combine for? Well, at least three. Four. With the other, Matt how Williams. many Sandberg hits? Was two? Sandberg hit Matt three. Williams. Matt Williams hit one. That was it. I love that Sandberg hit three. Like I said, he knew how to fucking yeah, he he knew what to do there. He tripled the, his next closest competition. All these, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, I, mean, I Maybe this is anecdotal, apocryphal, whatever, but I just I think the wind was blowing in, even though the wind tends to blow in more in the spring and fall. Um, I mean, how do you not? I, and, and I also I realize if they use the rules that they use today, um, those numbers would be different. It was a much shorter. It was, it was during the day, even though they had lights. Yeah. Right, it was not a huge extravagance. I remember, I almost went to this because you could. They, you know, they sold out work. It was called Workout Day because that's basically what it was. And then the Home Run Derby was part of it. It was really in its infancy, and it was relatively easy to get tickets to. I didn't get it. Now, uh, do you remember what its most famous? What's what is the the uh, Workout Day at Wrigley Field? What do you think the lasting legacy of it is? Yosh Kawano streaking across the outfield. Close. Like, what's Yosh best known for? Washing opponents' laundry, well, other than that, uh, like peeking out, peeking out the left field door <laughs> during games, apparel wise. Oh, the uh, pith helmet. Okay, so he wore a hat, right? He wore his little hat, which actually, when I was joking about, um, you know, so Donald Trump famously, famously, Ivana Trump is buried at the golf course, which now makes it a cemetery because he doesn't pay income tax. And I joked that the Correct. Cubs probably planted Ernie there, but I got this thinking. <laughs> The Rickety. I got thinking maybe when you you know maybe it's not a rosin bag on the mount, maybe that's Yosha's hat working its way up from his from his grave under the mound. Um, okay, at the workout day they gave away everybody who went got this ridiculous day glow pink hat. 
Oh, Jim Anixter. Jim Anixter still wears. Uh, he's okay. got his own. He's got like pink hat guy, but that's what started it. That's the that's hat the he wore, that's right. and from that's why everybody could spot him because the, he wore the, the pink hat from the 1990 workout day. Jim Anixter was supposedly uh, he's from the uh, cable producing, uh, not cable TV, but just literal cable producing manufacturer Niles. Been around for years. He was part of a group that tried to buy the Cubs before they were sold to the Tribune. So obviously he's Mister Moneybags because this is the pink hat guy that you may still see. Right? Is he, is he dead yet? He sits no, behind right there. behind home plate. He also leaves games early because a lot of times he would leave exit through our seats in left field, and my brother would always yell, "I'm going to sit in your seats." Because apparently he was very vociferous about uh, no one's that. Nice. So that's right. The, the, why was why were the hats pink anyway? 1990? 1990, man. It was like uh, Miami Vice. Far and, from uh, woke. Oh yeah, true. All right, became, all right. I got it. Um, yeah, you, know, you know it's interesting. Yeah, wind or no wind, it is funny that like all the American League ball players, of course, if they were lifelong Amer- like, American leaguers like George Brett, I don't know who else played in the game. They had never set foot probably in Wrigley Field before then because this right. is seven years before interleague play. So, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, may have contributed um, to, you know, I mean, not really. It was just pretty much Sandberg had the advantage and the rest of the net. I mean, Strawberry, right? What do you think Strawberry had to be absolute, have rusty pipes, just his nose must have been yeah. running. It's in, during the day. It's the day. You know, it's the break in the middle of the season. Um Bobby Bonilla, you know, maybe still a little fresh. Although I think you pointed out Bobby Bonilla was a starter in the 88 All-Star game. Yeah, so he wasn't that new in the point lights. Yeah. yeah. This time he made it as a but, reserve outfielder. He was back to the outfield. But, yeah, I don't know what the rules were for having guys participate in the Herman Derby, but I do think it's funny that antiquated rules are not that Wrigley Field, which, again – until all the new ballparks started in the nineties was considered a little band box uh, is the home of the most depressing home run hitting contest uh, in the, you know, yeah. in the modern era. That was a, it was almost killed the home run derby forever. Right. So, all right. That's enough of that shit. Uh, Sandberg, of course, also led the league in homers that year, which is kind of nuts. He was just kind of enjoying this sort of mid career, I'm pretty awesome, and he probably had his errorless streak, and the team was, you know, so whatever. But it was pretty much peak Sandberg here. He's one of the probably five best players in the game, especially considering how well he played such an important position up the middle. So, okay, since we're talking All Star Game, we might as well talk about the All Star Game. At the, um, it was the second time ever the Cubs really had the All Star Game. I think third, I believe. Third. And they haven't had it since. Early 60s, even yeah. though supposedly the Ricketts got a promise from. Bud and then probably uh, Tobe that uh, they once they got their renovations done they'd get an all star game and the I assume that's gonna and they yeah I assume that's gonna be announced right I, like fuck them I hope they never get one um but it was it was it was at Wrigley how many all stars do you think the 1990 Cubs had so this is just two years removed from when they had six yeah, as we discovered uh, from a division from the best record in the National League. Oh wow! Um, I'm all say. I'm. Is it more than one? Yes, they had. They had. In fact, they had two starters. Two, Sandberg two and Dawson. Elected, two. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Andre and Ryan both started the game, and they had. Andre is pretty much a game. And they had. They had a third member who was on the. Uh, oh. Reserve. Your guy, yes. Sean. Sean. That was the second and final All Star game. So no, no Greg Maddox. All right. Do you remember who started? Who the National League starting pitcher was? 
He was alive. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. I just out of the ads. I remember working at Highland Woods Golf Course. It was it was the All American boy Jack Armstrong, Jack Armstrong right? of the Reds. He was he was eleven and three with a two twenty eight ERA. He would finish the season. This is Atlee Hamaker esque. He finished the season twelve and nine. Good call. A, and uh, I don't know what his ERA in the second half. He was one and six in the second half with a five ninety six ERA. He, was Jack Armstrong not like the first pick in the draft too, like by the Orioles, or did he? Now I'm now no, I'm curious because that's was, a, the red. He was a red draft. He, he was okay. the first round pick. He was the 18th overall out of 18th uh, overall. the University of Oklahoma. So basically, just like the just like the dud that the Cubs picked this year. Um, Jack was this probably, year probably the best Sooner pitcher ever before Cade Holton. God, I can't Horton. His name. Horton here's a boo. Uh, Sorry. It was a barn burner of a game, too. American League won 2 nothing. That's Cubs the other thing. Basically it ruined, an extra Cubs basically ruined All-Star weekend. Right, it wasn't even a weekend. It's a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Everybody's like, this sucks. <laughs> or Monday, Tuesday. Everybody's like, ah, it sucked. We're never coming right. back here. Nobody could score. Nobody could get a home run. Nobody could score a run. Boo. Was it not an extra inning game? Two or no? I thought it was an extra inning game, so it was really uh, like. It was there a rain delay too? Yes, there yeah. was. So wow, what a hilarious! Yeah, it was nine uh, inning game, but there was a there was a rain delay. I okay, so it was not an long. extra inning. It was delayed though. That's what it, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, it ended late. I mean, it was in the summer. Not that I cared. Oh, beautiful night on the you know uh, on the north side of Chicago. Sixty eight degrees. The field condition soaked. Wow, sixty-eight degrees in July, seventy-one. I don't know. How well, long, everybody was there. How long was the rain delay? It was a hyped event. Sixty-nine fucking degrees at first pitch. That is like incredibly unseasonably cool in July. Jesus, wow. Uh, a little longer than an hour. Yeah, it looks like it was before the game. Just miserable. So it just started an hour late. Oh, the game started late. Okay. Yeah, I remember I, I was working at the driving range. I always worked about 9 or 10. I got home, and I'm like, oh, the game's still on. I think, yeah. Tim Raines didn't play in that All-Star game, did he? No, because he would have been in the White Sox. Never mind. Somehow I thought Tim Raines factored into that game, but he would not even have been in the American League. Was he refusing to slide so he wouldn't? Um, no, that was a few years earlier. I remember. Trial. Right. We didn't really cover the Pittsburgh drug. Well, we did, I think, reference that in 85. But, yeah, that was when that uh, came out. Let's see. The bullpen had – the National League bullpen had one, two uh, – I guess he, I don't know if you can count this third guy because he never – he pitched in, for them in spring training but never in a regular game. Three relievers on the National League team would be Cubs if you include the one guy who retired out of spring training. Never is the one guy who retired? Would that be uh, Dwayne Ward? No, it would be. Well, no, but we've got Rob Dibble. Then they cut him oh, and then he quit. But Randy right. Myers and Dave Smith were both in the oh. National League bullpen. Wow, there's some media. There, that's total '90s Cubs uh, Cubs closers right there. This is where uh, Fry was doing all his three. scouting. Well, Fry signed Smith, and then McPhail signed so, uh, National no, All Stars. Who would no, play? I'm signed. Yeah, sorry. Um, let's see. Benito Santiago, future Cub. Uh, let's see. That's it for the National League. American League guys who would end up playing: uh, Doug Jones, 
Man, all the great Cub closers were in this game. Dennis Eckersley. From the ni- from the nineties. Eckersley former George Bell. Yep. Uh, He'd be a Cub the very next season. Yeah, that's it. Steve Sachs was okay. the second baseman for the American League. For the White Sox got voted no. in Yankees. Oh. Wow. Steve Sachs. What was in Still could never hold Sandberg. So Sandberg's no, at his peak bad. now. It was Steve yeah. Sachs's. He'd been right. okay in 89 and made the All-Star team. He uh, hit 315 with a 364 on base. But in 90, he hit 260 with a 316 on base. He was bad. He played New York. Good old number six for the Yankees. Good old number three for the Dodgers. Yeah, well, good for Steve Sachs. So, yeah, that's pretty funny. The uh, the middle of the summer. I mean, you know, we're maybe thinking it will be a distraction. The Cubs are mediocre. I, I guess we should probably get back to the Cubs, but I'm glad we yeah. – that was a pretty I, – I never realized what a fucking downer. I kind of felt it when I watched it. It was like, wow, this game sucks. But then you combine it with the home run contest and the weather. And, uh, you know, we talked last week. We did 1988. The first night game was rained out. It almost does make you believe in God. Like, did not want – change um you also that's one of the worst all-star weeks ever yep. i would have to say to go, sure if they ever get it back it'll be even worse um so the 1990 cubs and i, I remembered this i mean i was pretty sure that was the year in 1990 uh the cubs had a left-handed starting pitcher who made his major league debut he had been drafted by the cubs merely weeks before it made three starts, no? Yep. Three starts. Went 0 for 3. Went 0 and 3. Yep. Blew out his arm. Never made it back to the big leagues. 100%. In fact, had I had my shit straight, I would have. I knew that. I would have brought that up as a, one of my five facts. But University ladies and gentlemen. of Arizona starting pitcher Lance Dixon. And just for. Ruined him in like a month. Congratulations. Just for good measure, it's not spelled D I X O N. No. Just for the hell. Because that's where we got kicked. With that draft pick. Another Jim Fry special. I mean, all right, maybe not a bad pick. Who's to know that he had a bad arm? But, I, like, was that the Cubs' fault? Who knows? Who cares? So they They're figure still the really... draft is in early June. He made, he, pitched, he made his big league debut on August 9th. Uh, he pitched against the Cardinals, lost 3-1. to one. Six innings, yeah. gave up three runs and eight hits. He, uh, oh, that's not not a bad debut. I remember he pitched. He looked good in those three starts. Well, in two of them. Oh, okay. Well, he didn't really look good in the second. But he pitched five innings. He lost to the uh, Astros in his next game. They, they lost seven to two. But then he pitched again against the Cardinals on August eighteenth. A game that the Cubs would lose seventeen to six. And Lance made two and a, two and two thirds, six hits, five earned runs, two walks, no strikeouts. And uh, he would never be heard from again. And yeah, he literally walked off the diamond during an inning because it was two thirds. Yeah, never, never walked back. Yeah, that was that was interesting. It was like, oh, maybe we'll have Lance Dixon next year. He pitched in the in the in the minors until '95, all for the Cubs. He made a grand total in so in six years of professional baseball. He made a grand total of 52 starts ever. Even in the minors? Yeah. Jesus. I, 
you'd like to, you know, I know it's second. It's guessing, funny because like, his numbers aren't bad. Like here, they're these always are his, good. These are his minor league numbers. He had a his career minor league ERA of two ninety five, two hundred sixty eight innings. He only gave up two hundred three hits. He struck out three hundred one. Wow. Uh, he walked 100, 113, which isn't great. That's a little higher than you want. It's almost four per nine, but it's not terrible. But he clearly just could never stay healthy enough. That's it. You know, he made 18 starts in 91. He figured, all right, here he comes. He's back. But in 92, he made one start. In 93, he made 14. And then he never made more than four after that. So he just was never healthy. Poor you think, uh, Yeah, I mean... Scouting number thirty three. Yep, nice, good memory. Scouting might not have been as advanced back then, but you think, well, right, especially Jim Fry, and not at this point, Fry's in his third season, so we're like full on dismantling. Yeah, this is uh, Dick Balderson as the scouting director now because Gordon Goldsberry has been fired. I think Goldsberry was Goldsberry was only there one year too. I think I thought he was only the first year, but yeah, it. It was getting ugly. And, you know, we did have high hopes. I mean, you know, while that's going on, Mike Harkey is the runner-up for Rookie of the Year, which was a Dallas Green pick. So, you know, we're still getting prospects are pushing their way up. But just as quickly, Fry is just throwing down the salt. Yeah, Harkey was 12-6 and six with a 326 ERA and 27 starts. Two complete games Probably and he only struck I went out to one 94 guys in 173 innings. That's All right. Um, Greggy, 15-15, the 346 ERA. Um, he struck out 144 guys in 237 innings. He's just, nobody struck anybody out. Balecki was 8-11. Sean Bosky was 5-6. Sean... I want to say, did Sean Bosky make his debut that year? I believe so. I think he threw a complete game. So not quite the full Pico because it wasn't a shutout. I might be wrong, so I'm going to quickly look it he up He had myself. a complete game that year. But not uh, – well, let's, 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 let's see. I thought on his major league debut he went the distance. He did. But All right. In the well, there you go. Home, five to one, nine innings, five yeah. hits, one run, six strikeouts. Uh, did he give up a homer? Is that uh, uh, oh, pitching in the Astrodome did, didn't he hurt? A home run. Who did he give up a home run to? Let's see. Was it the Beige? Oh, but it was the Beige. Uh, could have been, and it could have been Bagwell. Still could have been like uh, Jeff Lett. Could, no, couldn't have been the Beige. He didn't play. It was Eric Anthony in the third inning. Vaguely remember Eric, Eric Anthony, Anthony, second baseman. Not uh, to be confused with Eric Young, but I feel like he kind of looks Eric like him. Anthony played for the Astros, the Mariners, the Reds, the Rockies, and the Dodgers. He had one decent... No, he didn't. He had no decent years. He was mostly a part-time player. Without looking, can you can you tell me who Sean Bosky was traded for? I've mentioned it before, I'm sure. Not that I expect you to remember it. The Evanston-born Kevin Foster. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we got we turned Sean Bosky into Kevin Foster. Where did they get Kevin Foster from? The Phillies. The Phillies. Oh, yeah. Still trading with the Phillies all the time. That's an auspicious debut for Sean. He pitched the Cubs. Uh, they were after that win. They were eighteen and nineteen. So Ooh, on their way to nothing. Uh, yeah, I 
I think it's like for personal reasons that I cannot really recall too much about. Not not that you know they weren't that good, but I, I think I was just distracted. I was you know I was eighteen, so I was like I remember the '89 season. It it was you know obviously huge. I just like I just felt detached. Like there's not much I can. Uh, well, then '90 Hills were kind of aggressively mediocre. They were '77 and '85. Um, let's see, were they ever? They were the most games they were ever over 500 was on April 18th. They were three over. They were 16 under on July 14th. Um, they had two winning months. They were 14 and 12 in July and 15 and 12 in August. They just didn't. They were just kind of there. The mediocre. They weren't bad. They weren't good. They were 39 and 42 on the road and 38 and 43 or 38 and 43 on the road and 39 and 42 at home. It didn't help that uh, Jerome Walton was proved that 1989 was a fluke. So at that point, the 13-year search for a new center fielder for a long time since Rick Monday was, you know, only in its 13th year. Didn't know it, you know, continue to be a drought. So there was, but a, there was a strike. The season started. A, a, lo- season a started lockout, late. I think, technically. Yep. And, but they only had to make up one game. Um, let me look. Maybe they made but, it. But it, but it obliterated. Oh, they, they had to make streak. up three. Like there's a there's a oh. double header on the first week of the season, was there not? Against the Phillies. the open against the Phillies, I remember. Yeah. I was up in Wisconsin on spring break, I remember, I think. Uh yeah, right, yeah double header against year. the Phillies on the second on the yeah, they played on two they opened on Tuesday and one at home, four to uh, two to one, and then they had uh Wednesday off and they uh they split a double header on Thursday. So I think uh, they just pushed the season back a day or whatever. I think it was spring looks training like three, that was really like, truncated. It looks like three days. Or two, they probably pushed it back, well, four days maybe. And then it had to be four because it, they were supposed to open against the Mets on the 6th because here there's three makeup games against the Mets sprinkled through the schedule. Got it. From the 4th, the 7th, or the 6th, the 7th, and the 8th. And let's see how the Cubs do. They win them all. They lose them all. They lost that one. They lost. I'm, I'm wondering if it's. And I'm, they won that one. They won. They were one, one and two in the makeups. It took them the first one they made up in April. The last one they made up on September 24th. Okay. I'm. I feel like what happened was that the lockout really truncated the minor league. Uh, oh, this is not sp- right. Not the, the spring training schedule. I mean, though. Okay, I got this figured out now. They missed the first two series of the season. Cubs were supposed to open in Philly. They made up the first. They made up that series at the end of the season. So the games that were supposed to be played April third, fourth, and fifth were played on October first, second, and third. Got it. The second series out. of the year was supposed to be against the Mets. They and sprinkled they made, it. They made those up one at a time in three series, three home series with the Mets. Is that right? They so played play the Mets so four this, times at home? I guess the unbalanced schedule they did. Yeah. So the seat, no, well, the, it was not unbalanced yet. It was always pretty clear. You play your teams in your own division. If, it, if you played 162, you'd play your own division 18 times, nine at home, nine on the road, and then the other division 12 times, six and six. That's how it would work out to 162. Even as they far back to, as they made up. Okay, they made up one game on on an off day, April sixteenth, against the Mets. Then they went to New York. They probably all flew together for having fun. 
Then the Mets came back into town for a regular series in June, and the Mets came to town in September for a series. So the Mets were going to play three series in Wrigley. That's how it worked back then. You had to play uh, nine times on the road, so sometimes it would be three three-game series, or it would be a three-game, a four-game, and a two-game. That's oh, always that's how right. it worked. I'm being daft I'm because they were, in the, they, were in the, they were in the same division. So that's why they yeah, that's where absolutely. Uh, but it is funny. You're right. Uh, I don't know what what you stumbled across that allowed you to figure that out. It was not the game schedule, but you see the, the last. That's pretty good because the last three games were on a the last series was on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which is bizarre. Ask me, ask me about any day in uh, nineteen. I can tell you because just off the top of my head, don't have to look it up. Like Fourth uh, of July, they won uh, against the Dodgers five to three. Mike Harkin, Tell me what Fernando Valenzuela and Los Lancaster got to save. It took two hours and forty nine minutes. There were forty six thousand eight hundred eleven fans there. Well, in if LA, your memory, they, of course, I remember all this stuff. If your memory is still good about nineteen ninety, then tell me exactly how many yards Stacy Robinson ran for on homecoming oh, in October three hundred eight, I believe. But it is funny that in nineteen ninety, the season ended on a Wednesday, not a Sunday. Just you know, one of those things. I guess. But it did, so that that confirms yeah, they, my. They must have pushed the playoffs back three days. Yeah, the season got off to this weird this weird start where, um, yeah, you're right. You're right, the Cubs won the first game. Am I wrong? Did Mike Balecki? He did start, didn't get the win, but he shouldn't have been the starter. As good as he was, he had his career the year before. But Maddox was the ace. My my guess is that they had a truncated spring training, which meant two things. Number one. Greg Maddox had to pitch as much as he could in, you know, and Mesa just to be ready for when the season started. Number two, Jerome Walton just did not have enough time to sweat off all that <laughs> off-season celebration. Oh, he had extra time to eat. Yeah, he got an extra exactly. Week. He got an extra week to eat. Um, this turned out great though for baseball because you know um, the total attendance in Philadelphia for the final three games of the season of twenty-nine thousand total. Total, and I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's what it would have been uh, had they opened the season like they were supposed to, uh, when they would have had fifty thousand fans just for the opener. So that worked. Right, they got they got screwed. I will say though, and we kind of came across this, and we did, did 1989, and of course the Cubs and Phillies played a historic, uh, an historic, but just a memorable opening day at Wrigley that year. They were really at a nadir. That that franchise was some serious ass. So, yeah, not a surprise that they can't even draw 10,000 at the end of the season. Ooh, how about this? Opening day Phillies crowd at Wrigley. Holy shit. Is this right? What is it? Well, I'm looking at it now. Seven thousand seven hundred and ninety. Yeah, the season was slapped together like last minute. The the lockout ended, and so yeah, there was no. It was not like a real. It didn't feel like a. The eighty nine Cubs got hosed. So you're they defending could not be properly celebrated. East champs opened at home. Yeah, and less than eight thousand people showed up. It's because of the lockout yeah. though, and the, they just didn't really set it up to have a successful opening. They just they, we got to get going. I mean. Faye Vincent had been on the job less than a year. But, he didn't know what the fuck was going on. Wasn't that going to be the home opener anyway? Because it looks like the first two series were supposed to be in New York and Philly. That's a hell of a point. That's a, I don't know how well, to answer let's that. Check, let's check the weather. That wouldn't matter, though. It's opening day. Yeah, but there were years shitty. where they only did, where they only announced actual um, turns. That's true. That's true. Oh, no. I, this I, People should have come to this game. Why wouldn't you? So it the field condition was considered wet. Here was the weather. 37 degrees with a 30 mile an hour wind in from left field. 
There is seriously, Holy I gotta shit. tell you, I've spent my whole life in the Midwest. There is nothing worse than a cold, wet, wet, rain, an under forty rainy, wet, uh, windy day in April. What do you think Chicago. the wind chill is for a thirty mile an hour wind on a thirty seven degree day? That's it's like fucking opening and day it's really It's twenty degrees out. Great. Yeah, one of the worst uh, in line with to the All Star game. Mike Balecki against Bruce Ruffin. I mean, come no. on, why wouldn't you want to go to that? So yeah, I'll bet no. were, I'll bet it was a sellout, but only eight thousand people are like, all right, that's I guess I'll go. That might be it because I think that was before the league mandated that you report tickets as tickets sold, and not turns. I, th- I think there might have even been a difference in the league, like the American League counted tickets and the National League counted the turns. It was you might be like right. That. that sounds vaguely familiar, but yeah, fun times. That's one hell of an opener, though. I think that would rank as one of the lamest openers ever. The Cubs won, though, so that takes some of the steam out of it. Yeah, Mitch Williams got the save. And Jerome, actually, was two for four. Scored a run. So. Yeah, the Cubs got off to a great start. They won one. Four of their first five games got to that three over that they would never duplicate again. And uh, then in... uh, Starting on April 19th, they lost six in a row and eight out of nine and fell five and a half games behind somebody. Well, this was the first of three consecutive Pittsburgh Pirate uh, division winners. Oh, yeah, Barry Barry won his first MVP that year, I believe. Um, Pittsburgh emerged. This was also the first year that baseball game of the week was now in CBS. So as you said, I think it was pre-game, uh, pre, pre-podcast where you suggested that, you know, Vince Scully's obituary had been written 20 years ago. I was thinking about when Vin died, I'm like, you know, all those games of the week and stuff, when when he was considered still working nationally to 95, I think it was on the radio, but the baseball went to CBS after 89. So that whole Bob Costas studio work and, and Vince Scully and Joe Garagiola, 89 was their last season. Yeah. Cause 90, the All-Star 19, game would have been Jack Buck and Tim McCarver, right? Then McCarver. I think that was the original crew. And then and Sean then McDonough had the other two broadcast. Years, Buck got whacked. And I think then, that's right. And then Sean McDonough. And then, they lost That's the what it package is. back to... Yeah, it was not a very inspired... Like, it, it felt like a drop-off in that season. I remember then tuning did we go in. To, like, the, remember the baseball network? Like, no, no network wanted it, so they, they like, divvied it up among the networks, and you had to, like, figure out who was going to have... It, who was going to have the game of the week, and then who was going to... Like, the playoff series were all goofy. Until, until Fox grabbed a stranglehold NBC didn't in have the whole package, but Costas... I think that's right. I, I think there was this weird era from well, first CBS had it for like three or four years. I think. I think sure 1995 the, was 90, the year where. Let's see what year would that have been. 95 was when the playoffs were very stratified. I can tell you that. Yeah, because that 95. That's, 95 is the. Well, and the 96 was the first year of Fox. They had their first World Series that year. Fox basically took control in '96, but you're right. There was a there were a few years between Vin and Joe hanging it up and the uninspiring CBS exclusive contract. There were a couple, one or two years. So it must have been like '94, '95. It's funny because Sean McDonough is a really good announcer. He is. And what happened to him? And he got. Did he, um, did he not sleep with Harvey Fire or with Harvey Fires? He did, he did baseball and he was good at it. But um, nobody got all that excited about him, and then he lost the package, and then he got the Monday night 
thing, and him and Gruden didn't like each other. So he ended up losing that. And then okay. he did hockey for ESPN, right, this year? I don't know. I, I lost track of him after yeah. the mid-'90s. He's one of those guys that still does college football on ESPN. But one of those guys that kind of like disappeared. You're like, oh, good, because he's he's a good announcer and he's funny. Like he's got a good sense of humor. He knows. Um, But he's Hmm. just, you know, I mean, he's Will McDonough's kid. Yeah. The old the old Boston sports writer. But yeah, I don't know what got me on the rant on CBS taking baseball. Other than I remember just tuning in once, and my, young Mike Harkey was pitching in Pittsburgh, and just not a very. It was like, oh, I miss Vince Scully and Joe Garagiola doing the games. It just wasn't that. And we knew who Jack Buck was. We didn't hate him, or maybe you did, but no, I didn't hate Jack. Buck. Uh, he was he was old, and uh, I mean, and CBS did have that '91 World Series with the Twins and uh, and the Braves, but. Yeah, it was, it was. You're right. It was kind of a uh, baseball was a little bit. Yeah, of drift. And Jack was really good. He has he has I thought so. iconic moments in that, and they CBS couldn't get rid of him fast enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was just weird. But it was. It was the Pirates' first of three division champions. And the Pirates had done nothing in the '80s. They were other than being a thorn in the '84 Cubs side. They were usually year in and year out a shitty team. You know. I think we covered it, actually. They won the World Series. It's the last time they've been in the World Series in 1979, and they were still really feared 80-81, and then we started seeing some games where it was like, oh, they pretty much fell off a cliff at this point. So from like some point, like 81-82, and Stargell finally retired, and Parker was burning out before resurfacing in Cincinnati, Pittsburgh was ass for a long time. And all of a sudden, boom, you got like Bonds and Bonilla. You got Jay Ballot Short, Doug Drabeck, the former White Sox farmhand. Uh, and hey, I rooted for those pirates. You know, they they you know they got upended by uh, Lou Pinella and the Reds in the playoffs. But uh, uh, Steve Buscelli eventually was their third baseman. Maybe not in 1990, but um, they, uh, they it was a it was a new it was a new era in that division because for years it was mostly the Mets. Cubs won a stole a couple divisions in 84, 89. The Expos were good. The Cardinals were good. Actually, they're all good except for the Pirates. And then all of a sudden, 1990, Pirates yeah. were good. Right. So, the, yeah, the Cardinals won in 82, 82 85, 85, 87. 87. Mets in 86 and 88. The Phillies Expos in 83. Won at 81, right? Yep. They won, yep. They won, at least they won one of the That's halves. That's it. No, but they ended so up they going to the LCS. No, they had to beat the Phillies in the. Uh, yeah. In the impromptu division. Oh yeah, series. and the Phillies in eighty and eighty three. Yep. Yeah, everyone won at least two. Pirates won none. Now I guess it was somewhat evenly distributed because the Pirates did win it all in seventy nine, but they were they were not they were the one team that was not a factor till they were in nineteen ninety, and then Barry kept disappearing in the playoffs, and they kept you know missing out their chance to get back to the series. But um. Yes, one of my one of my memories of the '90 Cubs was uh, Cubs playing a, a day game in St. Louis, and WGN coming on the air and showing that before the game there was a little bit of an incident where Sean Dunstan and Marvell Wynn were rolling around on the turf in front of the dugout, punching each other. Nobody's really quite sure it. what happened, but uh, and Arnie actually they actually showed, they showed it, it. Uh, as a replay. They showed it. I think Marquis would show that. Fuck no, no. Taylor would go down and be like, um, hey, you guys were hugging it out? Where are your parents? I want to interview them. 
your yeah, mom Marvell. Here? Marvell is your mom here. No, how about dad? No. All right. I fine. think Any we discovered Mar- anybody. Yeah, Marvell was uh, had been acquired uh, for Calvin Chiraldi along with Luis Salazar the year before. And I always spell Marvell's name wrong because there's no second e in it. M A R V L L. Two L's and that's it. Yep. I mean. I would have thought if you're going to spell Marvell, you'd have an answer. Marvell was a huge pickup for the Cubs. He came in the Luis Salazar uh, deal in 89, and he hit 188 for the 89 Cubs, and he hit uh, 220. No, 204. Oh. Hit 204 for the 90 Cubs. And way to go, Marvell. Speaking of the shitty Pirates, I just remember Marvell as a rookie. I think in 83, I had like 500 at bats. He seemed like a you know promising player. He must have replaced Omar Moreno, but he was on the first of those shitty Pirates teams. As an everyday center fielder. 243, yeah. he stole 12 bases, of? and he only got caught 10 times. In 1984, he stole 24 bases, and he got caught 19 times. For Marvell's career, he stole 80 bases and got caught 58 times. <laughs> Marvell, stop running. You're not helping anyone. No, but that's kind of par for the course back then, right? Yeah, they did. there was no, like, hey, getting thrown out. No, uh, basically wipes out any advantage we're getting. No, with you being it was it was just like, yeah. I mean, Ricky got thrown out a lot. Vince Coleman got thrown. I mean, they stole a lot. They also got thrown out a lot. There was not a lot of thought into the analytics of stolen bases then, for sure. So the other half of that trade, Vance Law was gone, and Luis Salazar, a rope. He was. He looked like he was forty-eight years old. He was only thirty-four. He took over at third base full time. And he wasn't very good. But uh, he would hang out for a few years. And in this, uh, he was a Cub as late well, as 92. Let's just say Louis kept his eye on the prize. Right? What do you have? Like a detached retina? Or what was it? What was his uh, optical issue? As a coach, he got uh, hit with a foul ball and lost his eye. Oh. It's not even in his head anymore. It's, it's more than just an gone. issue. Yes. Right. <laughs> it is in a. In a jar in his trophy. Luis, would you like to play third base? Would I? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the other, uh, the other guy who played a considerable amount of time at third base was Utility Man. Hey, here they just call him Kurt. <laughs> Curtis Wilkerson. He was shortened it to Kurt, and it didn't help. Just he, Kurt. he hit two twenty. So the Cubs were getting nothing out of third base again, uh, which we well, were and then there, at the time. There's also the law of diminishing returns on the whole um, cursed Jamie Moyer, Rafael Palmero trade, which in the short term seemed it was fine because uh, Mitch Williams was their closer, had a pretty good year, and they went to the playoffs. And then Williams was so bad in 1990 that he was actually not even on the roster on opening day 1991, having been traded for Wait, Chuck Knapp. Are you Bob saying this Allen. is bad? This was Mitch Williams' 1990 season. Uh, he was one and eight, with a three ninety three ERA. He saved sixteen games. In sixty six innings, he struck out fifty five, and he walked. Hold on to your butts. Fifty. Wow. Fifty five strikeouts and fifty walks in six. Couldn't throw a fucking innings. strike. He and yet up, he ma- he gave up sixty hits. He gave that's a hundred and ten base runners in sixty six innings. From your closer, Very, is that a 1.9 whip? Is that a 1.9 whip? Uh, so 1.7. This this must be what caused my dad for years when he just basically swore off Don Zimmer. That it must have been during this season that Williams just kept kept getting his ears pinned back, 
And I remember my dad just getting absolutely frustrated and infuriated that Zimmer kept going to him and when interviewed about it, just said, well, he's my closer. Yeah. Like, All right. Um, Something along those lines. Working? And like, Don. It kind of, it kind of was like when my dad. It was the last straw with Don Zimmer and my dad. Don, of course, would hang on to the next May, but um, they kept putting the Mitch out there. So I don't know how many of those games when the Cubs are middling around. I don't remember. Again, I was not paying close attention. I just graduated high school. I was, you know, I, I whatever. I was. I cannot recall. And now I'm curious. Like, were there a lot of games that Williams was just pissing away early, like Dave Smith would the next year when the well, Cubs would this? throw Williams in over his the first, side? In his first four appearances, he allowed. Uh, he struck out. You got to save on opening day now. He struck out. He was year. four for four in saves in his first four games. Oh, in yeah. four and a third innings, he had only allowed two hits. He had walked three, which wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. He'd for him, out, it's good. Struck out four, so he was pitching well. And so that's probably Don just kept thinking of that. Let's see. For the rest of the season. And the year before. Uh, so from the fifth game of the season on, um, Mitch pitched 62 innings, 58 hits, 47 walks, 51 strikeouts. The opposing teams hit 245, 368, 405 against him. It's not great. Um, they don't t- total up the blown saves, so I got to see. It was still a slightly different time where relievers would have pitched, may have pitched multiple innings. Like he pitched more than one inning quite a few times. Yeah, he only blew four saves, but 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 those peripherals. He was not not pitching well. It must have been even worse the end of the year. So no, he didn't. So he didn't pitch. He's not the reason. Like Dave Smith would be the next year. We could almost point to Dave Smith and saying, "You fucker, you blew those early games." It's not like that. It's not like he railroaded the season early. In fact, it looks like a lot of his shitty performances were in September when they were out of it, and then also concluded made Jim Fry conclude that I got to trade this guy. That I just acquired and traded Rafael Palmero and Jamie Moyer for like. 10 months ago or, um, or 20 months ago. Yeah. Let's see his splits. Yeah. He wasn't, he had, he didn't allow an earned run in April in 12 innings. Yeah, he got off to a great start. Uh, he had a four eleven ERA in May. He had a one sixty nine in June, three in July, three, eight, six in August and seven eighty eight yeah. in 12 games in September. So that's when the, the wheels fell off. He gave up 20 hits and he walked, 11 guys in 16 innings. He A lot of walks, though. Even when he was not giving up runs. Just a lot of walks. Oof. And amazingly, then, he himself would bounce. Not, you know, I don't know if you call it bounce back. Because coming up in the Rangers organization, he was a prospect because he did throw so hard. And, th- and that's he was the centerpiece, really, right, for the Cubs when they got him. And he delivered. And then he was wild. And then Jim Fry gives up on him right away. You know, I signs Dave Smith, who's older and doesn't throw as hard, and you know that happened. But Williams, of course, became a very effective reliever again with the Phillies until he got bashed over the head by the aforementioned Joe Carter, yeah, ninety three. But he ended up, you know, that yeah. that wasn't the end of Milt Mitch Williams's career in nineteen ninety. Yeah. The Cubs only got fucking scraps. Chuck, sorry, Chuck McElroy yeah. and Bob Scanlon. I just referred to you as scraps, but. Uh, it was a pretty good deal for Philadelphia to pick him up for that. Yeah, his first year in Philly, he was um, he was twelve and five with a two thirty four and thirty saves. He Is saved, that ninety two? In ninety one, 
92, he saved 29 games. And then in 93, he saved 43. Yeah. And um, what I remember about 93, I mean, obviously you remember the home run that he gave up. Candy Maldonado. Right. You remember uh, Kurt Schilling would come out of the game. And then do fucking Kurt Schilling shit, where he would sit on the bench with a take a towel over his head, like he was hyperventilating because Mitch yeah. was going to blow his game. Being a fucking bitch, just yeah, what a fucking asshole. Right, what a drama queen. Uh, yeah, it's all about me. I'm in the dugout. There's the camera. Yeah, kind of showing up as teammate. Yeah, Mitch was wild, but you know, as we saw with the Cubs, he was effective in '89. He was obviously a pretty good reliever for a while, and you know, he corralled his uh, his wildness. And, uh, you know, took them to the brink. Well, Chuck Scanlon and as straight as an arrow, 92 mile an hour fastball was getting launched out on the Sheffield. So while, uh, while Mitch was struggling, uh, Paul Offenmacher went seven and two with a 280 RA and he got 10 saves. Trying to pick up some of the slack. Lester. Very useful. Lester Lacknaster got five, six saves, and Bill Long, six wins and five saves. Bill who? Long? I remember Bill Long. He's a former White Sox. L-O-N-G, yeah, vaguely. I think he was a veteran, right? Was he in his 30s, this guy, yeah. Bill Long? He was 30. American League guy. How did they get him? God. They got him. He was traded to the Cubs in, at the end of, at the, during, in, during the season, April 30th, for Frank Campos. Oh, great. I got nothing. He was, though, in 84, he was traded with Ozzie Guillen, Tim Lawler, Padres, and aforementioned Luis Salazar to the Part of the Padres trade. For That's Kevin, right. Kevin Christen, Todd Simmons, and Dewey Lamar Hoyt. The man who reminded, uh, what was the fucking Twitter moron who got all pissy? At me. Oh God, I can't. I don't remember we compared Lamar Hoyt too, but it was dumb. And um, it's... he's like, "Oh, like, the, it was like 1983." Lamar Hoyt came out of nowhere, and I'm like, "All right, well, in '82 he won 19 games, so did he really fucking well, come did, out of nowhere?" I did. I did see where your favorite uh, score producer, the afternoon, the hipster with the beard, said, oh, yeah, "The guy who's would, my whole personality is I have a beard." Yes. Right? Would Dylan Cease be the first Cy Young Award winner yeah. to not appear in the All Star game? <laughs> People have Oleg as long as their fucking arm. Like, well, like Lamar Hoyt would—he wouldn't even be the first one on his team. Yeah. Coincidentally, Lamar Hoyt did start the All Star game for the Padres in um, in '84. Well, and Sandberg's first All Star game or '85. It was '85. Both Cy Young winners last year didn't pitch in the All Star game. Yeah, I mean, it's just. I mean, the list like, was so long. It's like examples right, I'm glad, I'm glad you work in sports radio. He's a, he's <laughs> like if the bespoke post was a person, that would be Shane. Right. Bieber, so. Right. But the um, the wow, yeah, that's uh, I, Bill Long goes all the way back to that Ozzie Guillen trade uh, with the White Sox. That's something. Oh yeah, I, was, I know what I was going to say. Luis Salazar as a White Sox. Saw him this week when Vince Scully died because it was a rare Friday. Because sometimes you might, you might remember this, Andy. Sometimes Joe and Vin would do a Friday night game. Like a, you know, it wasn't always Saturday afternoon. Well, we cover the Cubs' first official night game, which was on a, like a, what a Tuesday or Wednesday on August 9th that NBC covered. So, so I, but there were sometimes Friday night games. There was a Sox Yankees Friday night game. The game in which uh, Bobby Meacham and a coked up Dale Barra got tagged out on <laughs> oh, the yeah, same play. Right. But the play started when the ball was hit over 
Luis Salazar inexplicably, I believe, playing center field and just took the worst route possible to to initiate that whole play. That um that play is reenacted in the movie Major League during the uh, during the you know the montage at the end when they when they're making their playoff run and Jake tags two Yankees out at home plate. Yeah. Well done, Carlton Fisk immortalized. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the guy, so, so the guy uh, from some Cub website, I don't remember what it was, uh, compared Keegan Thompson to uh, 1983 Lamar Hoyt coming out of nowhere. That's what it was. It's, That's an, awesome, what it was it's an all-around tremendous comparison. Great. You nailed it on every possible level. Keegan, who's going to win like seven games this year. Congratulations. There's that. Perfect. Yeah, I remember when that comparison was made too. I, I think it was like Mahoy. I think the point was a guy that had come out of nowhere. Like Hoyt was a oh, he's already got eight wins, so he's going to win like eleven. But but I think also it was like a come out of nowhere guy or something. Yeah. But like Hoyt was actually a pretty good pitcher for yes. a couple of years. He, he didn't just come out of nowhere. No, he'd won nineteen games the year before. That's what that I think. He, that's it. He won nineteen games yeah. two years in a row because he, he literally said he reminds me he's coming out of nowhere just like nineteen eighty three. Lamar Hoyt. And it's like, oh, 1982 Lamar Hoyt won 19 games. And he got so pissed. It's like, That's all right, right, I'm sorry that, you know, I Your narrative actually fell apart. found the, the number. I wasn't even trying to be a dick. I was just like, well, you know, he won 19. Maybe pick somebody else. And he was not having it. So <laughs> That's fine. Always nice to hear from fans. Indeed. And Lamar Hoyt, by the way, out of the league for four years by 1990. That was a pretty quick exit. Yeah, yeah. He was just a phone call away down there in Juarez. He went from leading the American League in wins in 1983 to leading the American Leagues in losses in 1984 before uh, Roland Heeman shipped him off for Ozzie Gann and whatnot. And he, and he bounced back for the 16-8 and eight season with San Diego, and then he was done after 86. So There you go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So 1990 was kind of a rough year for some of the big surprise guys of 89. Like the Rookie of the Year winner, uh, Jerome Walton. For sure. Only played 100, 101 games. He had a decent on base, 350, but he slugged 329. He had only 20 extra base hits and 21 RBIs. Uh, he hit 262, no, 263. Dwight Not Smith, horrible. Who the runner-up for Rookie of the Year the year before slumped to 262, 329, 376. Uh, okay. Former uh, uh, Little League World Series hero, Gary, Indiana native, and um, future future manager of the Pirates and Mariners, Lloyd McClendon, hit 159 for the 90 Cubs. Yeah, that was a lightning in a bottle uh, in the 89. Marvell followed up his 188 with a 204. Uh, Damon Berryhill, another injury-plagued season. Never played. Because uh, I noticed Girardi is listed yeah, as the played catcher. played only 17 Jesus. games. He at 189. Yeah, because Girardi... 17 games, so he was hurt from the end of 89. All so the here were the Cubs, the Cubs three catchers that year. Um, 
Joe Girardi hit 270 with a 300 on base and a 344 slug. One homer, pretty good year for Joe. 38 RBIs. One, one homer. How? It's 447 plate appearances walked and one seven, homer. Walked 17 times and 419 at bats. He was by far the best of the bunch because Barry Hill at 189, 254, 320, and Rick Rona. Uh, 172, 226, 172. Actually, they had somebody else had to catch because that's not enough games. Um, I see. I, I, my, I spy with my little eye a Hector Villanueva. Oh, there's Hector. Did he, did he catch any oh, games? Oh, yeah, he that caught year? 52 games. And he was 272, 308, 509. Seven holes. Yeah, but, but really, it was 1991. That was the year of Hector. So, you'd have to wait. Yeah, Hector would have been the, Hector had 817 OPS. Much better than Joe's 644. He should have been catching every day. Hmm. Oh, Don said, no, Joe's my catcher. That's right. Yeah, Zimmer was just punching it in. I also spot another De- uh, Dallas Green pick, Derek May, on that roster. So Mark Thought Grace, he- who had had his breakout in the 19- in the 89 playoffs, where he was nearly nearly matched Will Clark. I think we looked at he actually – yeah, maybe even had a higher OPS. He had a great series. It was amazing. He did. And we're like, all right, now he's on his way to start him. This is his second full season in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. He is 26 third. years old. This is third. He was a rookie in 88, remember? He right, was but a he, runner-up he came up in full. He came up in end of May. Right, right. I'm sorry, yeah. So, yeah, third year overall. And here it is. He's going to really come into his own. He's going to hit for some power. It's going to be great. Uh, he hit nine homers. Yeah, 82 RBIs, but he hit 309, 372, 413. The slugging is bad, 413. He only had 32 doubles. Uh, but he walked 59 times in 589 at-bats and struck out 54. He walked more than he struck out. He's no Bill Buckner, but for his time, he was pretty good about that. And honestly, this was the year that it stuck out the most that they were batting him and Sandberg backwards. Bill James points that out in the like historical Ryan abstract. Ryan Sandberg should have, been your, should have been your three hitter, and Mark, Mark yep. Grace should have hit in front of Ryan Sandberg because Mark Grace was getting on base, and Ryan was hit forty fucking home runs. And, and, and Don Zimmer had the Dusty Baker sort of like he had it baked into his head that a second baseman should bat second. Well, right? and Sandberg, they, he did. I should look it up. He did bat third on occasion, and didn't he liked to batting second bat more? I don't know what yeah, the yeah. fucking difference is, but he thought there was a difference, and. Don basically said, fine, do what you want. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll also say that. You know, if you'd have told him bad third, he would have bad third. I think it would have been fine. Yeah, I'm not going to put that on Sandberg. He was quiet. He didn't, didn't bat speak third. Up, at all. But... It, it was not 1990 because he did not bat third. Okay. But he, he probably batted, should have. He hit in 153 games, He uh, 152 starts, all at second. He pinch hit once in the eighth spot and once in the ninth spot. Okay. Okay. Don wasn't really tr- mixing up the lineup much. But why would you with a juggernaut like this team? True. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Grace still had a 785 OPS. The next year he dropped off the 719, started to worry. But I do remember, I, I don't know what the narrative was, but I think Mark Grace came into the league as a young married man. I believe we already established that, that he and Jeff Pico married a couple of nuns from Peoria. Hmm. Uh, or I'm sorry, sisters. Uh, and I believe this is around the time that Grace's divor- uh, marriage was dissolving and his wife would marry the now late Ray Liotta. Um, but actress, I do remember that actress he, Michelle Grace was in like one thing. That's it. So he actually had a 784 OPS, but for him that qualifies as his, or 785 is his sixth worst. And the 91 
with his 719 was really his worst outside of his final season in all three. So, yeah, Mark Grace was going through a, a bit of a starting, I think halfway through the season, kind of starting a little bit of a lull, and then he'd bounce back in 92 and become the above-average first baseman that we generally adored. But, uh, you know, but still kind of another guy that dropped off a little bit. You mentioned Wall, you, you mentioned Dwight Smith. God knows Lloyd McClendon, but we didn't think of him as a prospect. He'd been around for a while. Grace, too. I mean, Sandberg and Dawson were still bringing it, but uh, not a very inspiring team overall. So according to IMDb, and it's never wrong, Michelle Grace is credited with being in three movies. Uh, the first of which that she's uh, credited with, it's a HBO TV movie called The Rat Pack. I remember that. That was, well, that was Ray Liotta was yes. in it. He played, um, did he play Sinatra? Ray Liotta played Frank Sinatra. Joe Montaigne yeah. played Dean Martin. Don Cheadle played Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. Uh, Angus Mc, McFadden. In which burlesque Peter did Michelle Gress play? Cub <laughs> fan Grace. Bill Peterson played JFK. Uh-huh. Um, yep, he did. I remember that movie. I enjoyed it. I don't know how good it was, but I enjoyed it. And Michelle Grace played who? Judith Judy Campbell. Judy Campbell, whoever that is. That, why don't I have popped in my head? JFK's uh, uh, mistress, right? Oh, there you go. Wow. Good for Michelle she Grace. She's also actually... in a movie called A Rumor of Angels. She played okay. Lillian Newmar. Uh, you'd be surprised Ray Liotta also uh, starred in that. I wonder how she's getting these roles. And then she was in a TV movie. This was a real stretch for her. She was in a TV movie called Baseball Wives. Made for a reality show by chance? or no. She wasn't a baseball wife for long. She ditched uh, uh, She ditched the handsome Mark Grace for the handsome Ray Liotta early in Grace's career. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, was she married to uh, Liotta at the end or when he died? She, no. She I stand to reap any of that estate? I have a hunch that they were. He was on okay. wife number many, right. many more than that. Right. Um, I'm tired of dating a ball oh, player. I want he something was not, stable. He, he was unmarried at his death. He only married once. He was married to wow. Michelle Grace from 1997 to 2004. Interesting. So maybe she did get something. Yeah. Especially if they had kids, obviously. I don't think Grace did not have kids with he, you know, he was just a young kid. I mean, everybody uh I think everybody pretty much Mike Mark Ray. His, I mean, only, you know, his only child was a daughter named Carson, K A R S E N, and it is Michelle Grace's daughter. Okay. Well, there you go. Not Michelle Grace, Michelle Leota. I don't know if she ever changed her name. Okay. Maybe she stuck Maybe her agent. She, yeah, well, Michelle Grace is a good uh, yeah. actress name. Even though she yeah. wasn't a good actress and she wasn't ever in anything, but oh, well, she did play Judith Campbell in JFK. I did not know. I don't know how that sprung into my head. I was trying to make a joke about some non-speaking role, but that's probably a speaking role. It's because you know, Judith Campbell is supposedly JFK's uh, mistress. So there you go. So after a after a very bad uh, injury plagued NLCS, Andre Dawson. In 1990, bounce back. He played in 147 games. He hit 310, 358 on base, 353 slug. He hit 27 homers, drove in 100 runs, only struck out 65 times. He had a good year. Wow. And how old was he that year? 35. Damn. Is that his last? Uh, no. 
He was a Cub through 91. He was there again in 91. That was his last good year. Yeah, and I thought, oh, really? Okay. Well, no, I thought I he did okay in Boston His in counting numbers are good. 31 overs, 104 RBIs. But he had 272 with three. His everything dropped off. 272, 302, okay. 488. But he still did he had, not, 31 overs. He had 30, and he was still, still slightly productive with Boston the next year? No. He hit 22 homers for the 92 Cubs. Uh, in oh, only, Boston in 93. He went to Boston in 93, and um, he was – uh, 461 at bats, 13 homers, 67 RBIs. He's at 273, Ooh. Ooh. 94, 240. Then he plays last two years with the Marlins, where he was. Yeah, I went to on, on, I went to Andre Dawson. I believe the aforementioned Oleg was with me. I took took my dad out to the bleachers. We were in the first row in right field, and Andre, you know, he was setting up his retirement. He was going to go home to the Marlins, and then he kind of did a walk around the the warning track. It was pretty cool. Well, he had to go to mortician school or whatever. Probably a good one down there in Florida. <laughs> it was pretty much just the Dawson and Sandberg show. Now that now that I re, now that I revisit nineteen ninety, that was pretty much all that was going on. Yeah, that's all we had to root for. Dawson two sixty two, but only two eighty three on base. Hit seventeen okay. sixty six RBIs. Was that another precipitous Sean second half downfall because he wasn't all star? But he uh, he was starting to really lose ground on Barry Larkin. Those those comps are beginning to look increasingly ridiculous. Let's see. But he was all star. All star break. Uh, why did this jump on me here? Nothing like. Two eighty two, two ninety eight, four fifty seven, thirteen homers, forty four RBIs. Second half, two thirty nine, two sixty four, three eighty seven, four homers. Oof. Yeah. No. He always was good one half or the other, never both. Or he was right. bad. This... Or he was bad for both. That happened. Oh, years. the whole year, right? He was a a man of swings. Yeah, and it really yeah. dropped off soon. Anyway, like ninety one was another everyday. Season form, and then it just then yeah, the injury 90, started. Ninety two was when he fucked up his back. Trying, well, look at that! Trying to pull Sean Junior out of the car. He only he, he only played twenty five games over a two year period, and, and those and, and, and that was a continuous stretch because we'll bring it up because we haven't done ninety three. But in those seven games that he played ninety three, he did excitingly run around the bases in a game in September and score the winning run. So well, he had four hundred that year. I don't know why everybody says Ted Williams right. was the last one to do it. He was four for ten at four hundred. I mean that counts, right? Doesn't it? No. And then he did collect eight hundred some odd at bats the next two years, but man, that was that was about it. And I think a little drop off quick. Um, of course he came back in ninety seven. Came back. He came back two different times. Or just one other time, I guess. Kept going to the Giants. Yeah, ended up having a nice career. A little bit like like we said, a little bit like Corey Patterson. The guy had a nice career, but man, the expectations were so much higher. But he was an All Star in 1990. So, and I'm looking this up. I believe that had the Giants not blown. And no, you said that his last at bat, like David Ross. Would yeah. have been a his last because it, baseball reference has his last game is actually September 29th, 2002, which of course isn't true because he played in the, in the World Series that year. Yeah. And he hit what should have been a World Series clinching home run, right? Yes. Is that it or tied it or something? Or he won a game in, um, 
Yeah, Sean, Sean, you know, he, he still hit a home run in the World Series. He had a two-run. It was at a scoreless game in the fifth. Sean hit a two-run homer off Kevin Apier to give them a two-nothing lead that they should not have ever blown. Um, I think did he bat again? He did. So it, it would have been his last at bat. Would have been a home run that put the what his last the World game. Series, but and that's the game that they that they pissed away, right? Or no? It was earlier in the. It was not. Yeah, game there six. was a game that they had a five nothing lead in the seventh inning. So that was it. So shit. Oh, sorry, Scott Sean. Spezio hit a three run homer, and yeah, Aaron right, right. Dad hit a homer, and then Troy Gloss had a homer, and and the Angels won five, six uh, to five, and then they won the next game, and they won the World Series. Yeah. Thank you, Dusty, and I got Dusty canned, and then he came to the Cubs to make everything great. Well. But yeah, he was getting fired anyway. They just they were done with Dusty, whether they won or not. But but Sean Donson, nineteen ninety All Star, so yeah, back to back episodes. We did eighty eight last. I think week, he was so. a better uh, first uh, first round pick than Lance Dixon. So, and, and also the better first round pick than the year before was Earl Cunningham. The year before that was Ty Griffin. Now, the year before that was Mike Harkey, who brings it back to being the runner-up, but yeah, kind of a low bar, maybe. So I got a request. Uh, one of the, A new subscriber uh, said he wanted more uh, Bloyd Snapper stories, so I got a Mike Harkey one, which I think I've probably told. I'm going to tell you. Cool. Does not involve a cartwheel, though? It does not. He was the, and, and the year I was with the Snappers, he was the pitching coach for the West Michigan Whitecaps, which are the Yankees. Grand Rapids-based. And um, I... It, had the box score after the game and I went down to the visiting clubhouse and I was going to give it to their manager. And I opened the door to the clubhouse and Mike Harkey was standing in the door and he turned around and he looked at me, he just put his hand up, like, don't come in here. And I could see over his shoulder, two of the white caps were just beating the shit out of each other in the clubhouse. Like and a Carlos, Be- like, they were a, like a, a fight and everybody was just kind of letting them, was kind of letting them get it out. It wasn't like a friendly boxing match. They were beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> And Mike, he stopped me, and then the door opened up. And he was again. a coach. He yeah. wasn't a player. Goes, he was a coach. He was a coach. And he opened the door, and he goes, is that the box score? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'll just take it. He goes, don't worry. And he took <laughs> it through the, the door and closed the door, and I just went back to the I went back to the office, and I was like, uh, I said, yeah, the Whitecaps are fine with the box score. They're too busy punching each other in the face. So that is your encounter with 1990 uh, National League Rookie of the Year runner-up? Yep. Mike Harkey. I had talked to him the day later. before too. I think. She, all right, she he seemed like comments. a really nice guy. Sure. Yeah, we had high hopes. You know, he debuted I think late in '88, so they, you know, he came up a little bit '88, '89, I believe, and then 1990. So I, I'm, I got just, I'm gonna. Which California school was he from? Oh, Cal State. Uh, okay, the but fourth, I guess the fourth overall pick. Because I've already confessed to, yeah, because the 86 Cubs were ass. Oh, he was picked um, right behind a, a future teammate of his. Future teammate on the Cubs? Yeah. Who? Willie Banks. Oh, traded for, uh, uh, traded 1994. Big, big uh, Larry Himes acquisition, Willie Banks. And took a no-hitter into the sixth inning on Memorial Day in 94. So do you remember who the, who the first pick in the 87 draft was? First pick in the 87 draft? Yeah, this, the draft that Mike Harkey went to the Cubs. He's a little, a little better than uh, Mike Harkey. Was it Walt Weiss? It was, uh, I'm going to get his full name right. Is it listed? Uh, a guy by the name of George Kenneth Griffey. 
Jr. Oh, that's the 87 draft. Nice. How about how would you like to be? Um, I got now. I'm going to do some research here. Um, remember we I we determined that the in that was still the time when they were alternating first picks between the American National. They've done that until recently, I thought. So I want to see if the team that picked second actually should have picked first. And if they did, how everyone's fortunes would have changed. Who was the second pick anyway? It was the aforementioned Pirates of Pittsburgh. In 1980, wait a minute, oh, 86. The 86 Pirates were 64, 98, and 0. Jeff King? The Mark Merchant. That's who they got. Jesus. Wait, so, oh, Harkin was the 86 draft. I would have thought oh, it was Oh, it wouldn't have mattered. By one game, the Mariners would have had the overall pick. Anyway, they were 67, 95, and oh. But if it had, if it had somehow been reversed, you would have had Barry Bonds and King Griffey Jr. on the same team. Wow. And that's the 87 draft, right? Yeah. Okay. But I, they wouldn't. You wouldn't have had it anyway because even had the Pirates only won fifty nine games, the Mariners were right. first. Right. Which is stupid, but that's how it was. But that would have been uh, Mike. No, Harkey I was wrong. Rooker. They were sixty four ninety eight and zero, which I'm sure people are like you just said it. The Pirates should have picked number one overall. Junior and Bond should have been on the team, same team wow. together. I have a feeling they probably would have gone to one of those World Series in ninety. Because uh, B- Bonds. Bonds, I'm pretty sure, made uh, his debut in the majors in 87. So I think he was like a top pick in like 84, 85. They, because they're just a few years apart. That's incredible. Because that would have been perfect timing. Because the Pirates in 1990 were all of a sudden good, as we established. And uh, yeah, just going to point out too, Mike Harkey was Dallas Green's final uh, first round draft pick. And uh, another and, and, another future club. Was yep. picked. Uh, oh, I'm looking at the Pirates. It was picked in the. It was picked by the Pirates. In wait, what pick? I'm confused here. Future Cub, drafted by the Pirates. Is this what right? year? In '87. Oh, seventh round. Okay. Second pick of the seventh round. Mickey Morandini. Drafted by the Pirates. Yep. He must have Not the Phillies. The Phillies, because he was a senior at Indiana, so he didn't go back. Okay. Uh, let's see. No, he did go back somehow. He must have been a fifth year. He got picked in the seventh round by the Pirates. He went back and he got picked in the fifth round by the Phillies. And got it. And then got traded to the Cubs for Doug Glanville. Um, what's funny is that when we've done like 89, 88, 91, even 90, like I can remember several games I've gone to and I've linked to them. I can, there's only one game speaking of Mike Harkey that I can even remember being at. And I know I went to more games in 1990. Just, I was, you know, was 18. I don't know what was going on, but I remember just, I don't remember this because I was offered seats to like, there were like four rows behind the uh, first base dugout. And uh, my buddy Dave and I, we took the bus. We took the L from River Road and then took the bus. And Mike Harkey, I want to say, it was right before school started. I think I found it August 17th, 1990. And this was a great FU to the guy who would finish ahead of him. I want to make sure. Yep, that was the game I was at. Probably the closest I ever sat, um, at least at Wrigley Field, to the action. And uh, it was on this day where Mike Harkey threw – 
don't know if it was his only shutout of the year, but I was there. He outdueled John Smoltz to go 12 and 5. Mm-hmm. And in the opposing team's lineup that day was the guy that would um, unfairly take home the Rookie of the Year award ahead of him, David Justice, who had over three that day, I might add. So yeah. it's the only game I can remember being at 1990, even though I know I was at a few more. The the eighty seven first round, if you include the the uh, comp picks, it's two Hall of Famers. So so far, uh, probably, I think so. You probably can put so far to bed. I don't. Griffey, Jim Tomey. The second pick of the second round went to the Houston Astros. Beige. It was the Beige. Drafted out of Seton Hall University. Okay. Yes. Uh, let's see. Other notables. Pick, guys picked after the Cubs. Uh, the next pick, Jack McDowell. Well, that was part of Larry when Larry Himes proved that he was pretty good with the Sox. He had McDowell in 87. Alex he Fernandez, had uh, Frank Ventura in 88, Frank Thomas in 89, and, and Alex in 90. And the Cubs hired him and he sucked. Uh, Kevin Apier went to the Royals in the ninth pick. And you said Kevin Apier uh, was pitching in the World Series for what the Angels that came back that yeah. Dunson hit his homer off of Kevin Apier. Yep, just near fifteen. He's a good later. pitcher for a while. I remember yep. Kevin Apier. He went to Antelope Valley College in Lancaster, California. That's a real college. Yeah, Delino. I thought you were joking. No, Delino DeShields, the twelfth pick, the Expos. Future Cub. Uh, Chris Carpenter, Cardinals, fourteenth pick. Okay. Future Cub Mike Remlinger. The Giants in the 16th pick. Uh, oh. All-star starter Jack Armstrong, 18th pick of the Reds. Uh, Bill Hasselman. Uh, nope. Oh, picked by the Rangers. Who the hell is Bill, Bill Hasselman? He was a catcher for the Red Sox for a while. Uh, Travis Fryman, 30th pick by the Tigers. Good player. Good career. So... Let's see who did they, have a, let's see who the else the Cubs took in eighty seven. I'm sure it's full. Besides of Mike Harkey. Oh, look at all these guys. It was a veritable who's who of future Cub All Star teams. Uh, second pick was Alex Arias under George Washington High School Arias. in New York. Um, sixth round Frank Castillo. Not a bad pick, Jim Fry. One of the rare ones. Blind squirrel, something something. Seventh round, Kurt Russell's nephew. Matt Franco. Is that a fact? Yes. Uh, eighth round, Matt Walbeck. They would trade to the Twins. I remember that would cause some consternation. People are like, oh, my God, the great how could you right. trade the great Matt Walbeck? Uh, he was drafted in 87. Came up in came up in 03, and he would burst on the scene with the Cubs. He's like, you wouldn't believe he hit 200 with a homer and six RBIs. Wait, he made his debut 16 years after he was drafted? Six, 93. 93. By the way, the aforementioned Travis Fryman was a good ball player and very close to the hero Baines Bar, 34.4 war. How about this? Oh, Matt Walbeck traded on November 24th, 1993 with Dave Stevens for Willie Banks. Oh, see? We talk long enough, it all comes His number one similar batter. Of all time, Gabor Paul Bacco. Son of a bitch. Also on the list, White Sox star George Fabregas. I remember uh, George Fabregas. Padres manager, Bob Melvin. 
And that's about it. And uh, most similar by age, at age 29, he was Mike Matheny. Congratulations, Yikes. Matt Walbeck. With the, with the concussions and, uh, and, and, and flesh wounds and real estate deals, too? Yes. Uh, in the 37th round, the Cubs selected a uh, – he was listed as a right-handed pitcher. Is this gonna be, yeah, this is the same guy. Okay, so this is a right-handed pitcher out of Providence High School in Burbank, California. He would make it to the big leagues uh, for another team because he didn't sign at third base. And I believe he did eventually sign with the Cubs. I don't, did he ever actually play for them? I think he was like a spring training guy who never showed. That was well, Jeff Cirillo. Oh, wow. Cubs picked him in the 37th round. He actually was pretty good for the Brewers. He hit 326 in 1999 for the Brewers. Signed a huge contract with the Rockies. And everybody thought, oh, here we go. I mean, obviously, you put him in that park. The, thin air. He, oh, the home runs are going to start flying. His first year with the Rockies, he hit 326 again with 11 homers. Then he hit 17. Then he got – so he was pretty good with the Rockies, but then did he get traded to the Marlins? And he was – or the Mariners. And he was terrible. How did he get to the Mariners? Uh, yes. He was traded with Brian Sweeney. No, I'm looking at the wrong one. He was traded to the Mariners for Brian Fuentes, Jose uh, Paniagua, and Denny Stark. And with the Mariners, he hit, I love doing this live on the podcast, 234 in two years uh, with 295 on base. We're talking Jeff Cirillo, who Jeff, was drafted in 87. Jeff Cirillo, yep. You two-time, also mentioned... Two-time All-Star, led the league one time in one category, grounded into 26 double plays in 1998. Nice. But you also mentioned Jose Paniagua, one of my favorite... Uh, Jose Breadwater. Translatable, Joey Breadwater, sorry. Oh, yeah, Joey Breadwater, sorry. Oh, I should have stepped all over your thing. Joey Breadwater. That's it. There's a lot of nothing in this draft for the Cubs. A lot of guys who never made it anywhere. Yeah. Try not to besmirch Dallas Green. The 1987 prospect draft. perverts, though. I'm sure we're all over that draft. But uh, Let's see what else we got here from 1990. It's a very exciting year. This was not the year that uh, Don Granesco and Don Zimmer got into it. That would be 91. So yep. Zimmer survived the entire season. I, I did go on a quick rant about this game that I that I saw on August seventeenth or whatever, and I just wanted to point out that the opening that the uh, leadoff hitter for the Braves on um, August seventeenth, nineteen ninety, when I saw Mike Harkey throw a shutout as a rookie, was Odie McDowell. Oh just yes, wanted to throw that out there. Loved Odie McDowell. Um. Also, Ron Gant in center field. That seems like it should have been fun to watch. Where did I just see? Oh, it must have been on a full season roster. Why is he not? This would have been the end of the road, but I don't see him on the stats here. It's got to be somewhere. Who's there that? he is. Uh, for one, Rick Sutcliffe. Oh, so it would go one more year, too, in the 91. And oh, then yeah, actually, 
Baltimore like ninety two. Oh, you're right. He only pitched five times in ninety. He came back. He so pitched, yeah. He made he made eighteen starts in ninety one. I was thinking that was it. So he uh, so he was pretty much done after eighty nine, I guess. Well, but he, he won- bounced back. He had he had a good year in Baltimore in ninety two. I know. Yeah, 19, he won sixteen games. Um, well, he lost fifteen games. <laughs> led the league in starts thirty six and led the league in earned runs allowed one hundred eighteen. But he was 16 and 15 with a 447. Then he was won 10 games with him in 93. Then he went to the Cardinals. He went six and four yep. with a 652, and that was it. But he beat the Cubs in 94 as a member of the Cardinals. Of I know that. I'm sure he was in tip-top shape. Right. Uh, let's see. He didn't. Was he pitching out of the bullpen? In that. Oh. He didn't have a bat. Which makes it with 95. No, five starts. Well, only seven games. So he had two seasons that were like dogs, like 80. So we talked about it. Well, yeah, because he was a good hitting pitcher. He's not going to get denied a chance to oh, hit. There it is. Uh, yeah, well, this, this is a bad sign. You pitch in five, you, you make five starts and you have five at bats for the season. Yeah. yeah. Five plate appearances or at bats? Eight plate appearances. He had uh, two walks and a sack. Just one sack. He walked twice. He knew he was struggling. Struck out twice. Uh, should mention that Dalton Varsho's dad was on the uh, 1990 Cubs. Good number 24. Was he uh, named after Darren Dalton? Yes. Jeez. Yeah, they were uh, teammates on the those World Series Philly that World Series Phillies team. Oh, I didn't know Varsho. Right? I didn't know Varsho was a 93 Philly. I knew that he was quickly even oh, he right was. after 1990 actually. Now. Yeah, because no, 91, he was already on the Pirates. Because he, okay. he was a red in 93. But Varsho was a big Pirate beginning yeah. the next year because he had a big uh, a big hit against the Cubs in that heartbreaking early season series when Dave Smith kept blowing games and Dawson kept hitting grand slams and then became like Jim Leland's pet. And that's yeah. what, you know. He had a good year a for him ball. in 91. He had 273, 344, 417, and limited play, 187 at bats. Shouldn't have let him go, guys, but that was, once again, Jim Fry. Another guy, by the way, Gary Varsho. 92. Draft, drafted by Dallas Green. 92. He had 222, 266, 370. Wasn't very good. Oh, he was a pinch hitter extraordinaire. Did they, uh, did they let him go in favor of, when did Dave Hansen show up? That was 97. Oh, yeah. Dave Hansen and Dave Clark. The only good thing the 97 Cubs had going on were two yeah, really good pinch, pinch hitters. Yep. Yes. Hansen was a good pinch hitter, even for the Cubs. So was Dave Clark. And they're on the same team. <laughs> a shitty team that had two good pinch hitters. Dave Hansen in 97 hit 311, 429, 450 for the Cubs. Wow. Yeah. That, that tracks. And then he didn't play in 98. But just quit the game because he was, and they came back. Must have got yeah, him. could be. Granted free agency after the 97 season and signed in January of 99 with the Dodgers. He got traded in uh, 2004 for Jeff Cirillo. How about this? Keeps coming full circle. And then he got he came back uh, 2005 with the Cubs. Uh, he signed on February 15th and I, I, he, was, he, he was released at the end of spring training, so he never played for him. Okay, that's probably why I forgot it. One of those, yeah. But uh, Gary Varsho is from Marshfield, Wisconsin, and went to the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. He was a fifth-round draft pick by the Cubs in the 82. 82! Yeah. Another Dallas Green uh, Another Dallas Green pick. I guess he started in 88. It's only six years. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's not terrible. 
Uh, let's see. Jeff Pico was still around. He made eight starts, 31 appearances. Got a couple of saves. Big saves, I'm sure, when they really needed him. Definitely. Uh, Dean Wilkins pitched for the, um, whatever year this is, the 90 Cubs. Was, was Dean, what was, was, now I'm getting confused. Yeah, was he not part of the Steve Trout trade? No, He's a handsome, well, he might be. He, was, he got drafted. He was the second round pick of the Yankees. Uh, was he see. one of the guys? Yes, he was yep. part of the I mean, Bob Re- Tewksbury, Steve Trout. It was Dean Wilkins and Rich Scheid. What a this is why I like things. Talk about a lopsided deal for the Cubs. Dean Wilkins, Rich Scheid, and Bob Tewksbury. Right. Who the Cubs would flip and then have great years with St. Louis. Remember, Rich Scheid will paint any car for ninety nine ninety five. Oh, that's Earl. No ups, no extras. That's I guess that's Earl Scheid, not Rich Scheid. A little different. Right. Irving and Western. Joe Kramer. Remember him? I don't. Dave Pavlis. No, but, but there Randy are two Kramers. Kramers. We had two Kramers. Team. We had a we had a Kramer K R A E M E R and then a regular K R A M E R Randy Randy and uh, Joe Joe had the weird spelling. Right, they had both kinds of Kramers. Yeah, whether you need them or not, we had all kinds. Whether you need them or not. Uh, One of my favorite utility players of all time for the Cubs, Domingo Ramos. Sure. Yep, Sunday Ramos. Good old number fifteen. Former, he and Curtis uh, Wilkerson, they were the uh, they were the utility backup infielders that made eighty nine run. Let me tell you, Domingo had been a star for the Mariners before he came to the Cubs. Um, consecutive years right. with the Mariners, he hit one eighty five, one ninety six, and one eighty two. So good job. Which there. of course Domingo. actually did make him a star for the Mariners yeah. in the eighties. But in eighty seven, three eleven, three thirty six, four twenty seven in a hundred and nine. Oh, hundred three at bats, not games. Uh, he played two years for the Cubs, and they were the probably the two best years of his career. And two years for the Cubs, he had 264, 338, 323, which is not great. And then nobody ever wanted him again, so he had to retire. Poor Domingo. Yeah, but I, I pretty much will always have warm memories of, of Domingo because he was an 89 Cub. Like I said, he kind of held down, you know, much like, what is it, Ramon Martinez and I don't know who else on the Dusty. He was the nondescript middle infielder. He and Kurt. Ian Kurt, keeping uh, Sean and, and Rhino nice and refreshed. An outfielder the Cubs had very high hopes for made his debut in 1990. He was a tall, lanky, line-drive machine. A former first-round pick. From the Cubs? The first-round yep. pick of the Cubs? Yep. Son of a former major leaguer. Why the hell am I blanking on that? I have to look at the roster and cheat now. Son, of Dave, son of Dave May. Oh, yeah. Well, Derek, I did mention Derek May. Oh, you did mention Derek May. The Dallas Green pick that actually was okay, like by 91, 92, and then he fell off. And I remember uh, kind of heckling him once, like 96, when he was still hanging around. Like, what a disappointment he was. He just but, never hit yeah. any power. Yep. He hit his. He played in the big leagues for 10 years. He had uh, 2,200 at bats, and his career high for homers. Was ninety three hit ten for the Cubs. It was his best year. Ten over seventy seven RBIs, two ninety three, two ninety five. He also hit for good average. Um, it took a beating towards the end when he was a part time player. So his career average two seventy one. He probably should have been closer to in the two eighties. Right. But he was just he wasn't not anything special. No. Nope. And he was not. No. Ter- he wasn't a good defensive outfielder. He wasn't fast. He was just out there hitting line it, drives and getting yep. singles. Like, oh, great. Thanks for 
still another Dallas Green pick that had like 500 plate appearances at least, won a few games, but yeah, there's not much there. Uh, let's see, scrappy little infielder Greg Smith made his. Uh, nope. Don't remember. He had played four games in the 89 Cubs. He only played 18. He was nothing. That's about it. Not a lot on this. Uh... Yeah, like I said, it's kind of weird that they're so un, they're so forgettable coming as they did on the heels of such an exciting young team. And I, you know, I, and I think we talked about we did 88 where we talked about oh my god, this team is on the rise. Like Dave Martinez has got an 800 OPS. We've got Palmero as an All Star left field. We've got you know, Bud Dunstan's finally coming around. Damon Berryhill, this big catcher, and like there's a lot of hope in '88, and that kind of translated in '89, and like just as quickly it was, you know. And I think as we discussed in '88, what we didn't know at the time was that Jim Fry was, was busy dismantling the whole sort of yeah. infrastructure. Yeah, and I think 1990 was like the first sign that, oh man, this are, are we on the right path? Uh, are we in denial that because Dallas Green has not been gone for three years that we're off course? And, of course, that was true. And then it, it all came crashing down when Jim Fry was given an open checkbook after the season and then failed famously. And then it cost him his job when, you know, to, 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 to sort of make up for the sort of falling off the course, they signed all those free agents and it didn't work. And then it's like, well, do you have any rookies or any, any prospects? No. And it's just, you know, and that was back to square one. The whole, it was really pretty much had turned to dust by now. We just didn't, even still probably didn't grasp it at the time. It was just, ah, oh, it's a mediocre season. Maybe Walton will come back next year in shape and, you know, just wasn't the case. Yeah, it's weird. If you went into the season, you know, you're coming off a division championship and you told you before the season that Mark Grace would play in 157 games, Ryan Sandberg would play in 155, Sean would play in 146, Andre would play in 147. And then you were going to get um, 35 starts out of Maddox. You were going to get um, 29 starts out of Balecki. And Mike Harkey was going to come up and um, have a good rookie year and give you 27 starts. Yep. And your bullpen was going to stay healthy. You would have thought, well, we're going to be pretty good. But they just were bad. I mean, no. so Jerome was bad and hurt. Dwight didn't have a good repeat year. Sutcliffe got hurt and barely pitched. Um they also didn't yeah. add anything. You know, they just, well, that's they just it. ran that back. I mean, they they was like, well, we're going to have a whole year out of Luis Salazar. Yeah, is that right. good? And Lloyd McClendon was probably in the plans. Yeah. You know, like Lloyd was a total lightning in a bot. Lloyd McClendon had been around like six, seven years. He was a Cincinnati Red, I think. He was like a 30-year-old. It just found the fountain. He had his one good year in that. It was fun. He was, you know, it was great. But, you know, much not to compare it to Gary Gaetti and, you know, 10 years later, but it was, it was like, you're right. They didn't, uh, Jim Fry's, I don't know what he would have been thinking. There was um, no, there's literally, there isn't, they didn't acquire any veteran of note to add to this team. Mm-mm. There's everybody on here was, was on the 89, 89 Cubs. Cup. Yeah. Or their rookies. Like, was this Doug DeCenzo's first year? Probably no, had to be. He'd Absolutely. Been, he'd had, he'd had a couple cups of coffee before. September. So they added okay. Him. But, I mean... Yeah. No, you're right. There's uh, They did nothing in the offseason, which, well, again... They, I, they signed Dave Clark. Oh, the first time. See, Wow, so Dave Clark and Dave Hansen had a couple yeah. different sojourns with the no, Cubs. No, they traded, they traded Mitch Webster for Dave Clark. 
Oh, so that's what becomes of Dave Martinez yeah. is a 27 year old Dave Clark. That's already setting a chart for a career pinch hitter. Great. But good pitching wise. Their addition was Harky. Right. I mean, so again, was, just and like, then even in season, they apparently couldn't figure out how to add a pitcher because they made their poor rookie first round draft pick start games. That's not a very yeah. long run anything. Well, in some sense, it's like, well, Fry had the division winner ill gotten because it was Dallas Green's handiwork, you know, outside of plugging in, you know, a Louis Salazar trade and getting Mitch Williams, which again, mortgaged the future. Fry, you know, that team is Dallas Green's team in 89. It's all his young prospects all over the field. So Fry's like, well, run it back out, you know. Even with the rotting corpse of Salazar at third and Smith and Walton did have sophomore slumps or whatever, which can be expected from time to time. It's just not not a memorable season at all. And then in the big picture, it was more a sign that things were just going to get worse. Yeah. Yay! We didn't mention. Uh, Who's the name I just spotted that we didn't actually mention today, but we mentioned to me? Oh, Steve Wilson, the Canadian, 1990 Cup. I think yeah, we're done a, now. He made a bunch of starts, right? Oh, you're right. Not a bad sign. 15 right. starts. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, well, like you said, Sutcliffe was pretty much outside of his death rattle in Baltimore. He was kind of done. But, you know, the, we already did this season, but in 91, they would say, all right, here we go. We're going to. Uh, we're going to turn catcher over to Rick Wilkins. We're going to sign George Bell. No, no, but Wilkins came up mid-season. The opening day catcher in 91 was probably still, still like, no, uh, right? yeah, or Gerard or, or Barry Hill. They might have still had Barry Hill. I don't think they gave up on him yet. Um, the big thing going after the season, like I hinted at, was that Jim Fry is like, shit, I got to save my ass. Yep. This oh, is yeah. right before this is... mediocrity, but this is before Tribune was like, "Don't spend money." They were like, still in, you know, ensnared by the Dallas Green aggressiveness. You know, uh, they got Dawson there. You know, before '87, like, yeah, be aggressive, and that's when he signed Dave Smith, Danny Jackson, and George Bell yeah. to cover up for all of his mistakes and lack of uh, producing any real talent and trading off all of Dallas Greens. And when it blew up. That marked the end of Jim Fry's career, and it began that whole mediocrity by design where it was like for about a good 10, 12, 15 years, Tribune worked on that calculus of let's not really suck and let's just keep selling off yeah. this ballpark. Well, you know, so, we talked about We ran through Danny Jackson's 88 numbers because he went yeah, incredible. Went toe-to-toe with Oral and, right. and made a good case where he could have been the Cy Young winner. The Cubs signed him after the ninety, or they signed him after the ninety season in eighty nine and ninety combined. He was twelve and seventeen with an ERA well over four. So it was how many like, innings did he pitch? Uh, I wonder. Total two hundred and thirty three. Yeah, he wasn't you know he, so. wasn't he wasn't healthy. And it was very clear, and the Cubs are like, here, have a big bag of money. Well, and the th- to be fair, he was a he was a marquee signing, and the Cubs were competing with other you know. Teams. It wasn't like they, I, he was probably one of the top. The Cubs went big for one of the few times in our lives. And we said it between that troika of big signings that blew up in Jim Fry's face, between that and Alfonso Soriano, the only significant free agent signing that the Cubs ever had in those 16 years was Randy Myers in 93. They stayed on the sidelines for a good decade and a half after uh, 
And again, the only reason that Jim Fry did that was just to cover up all his mistakes coming off of this season, which, oh my God, we're starting to lose the magic from 89. And of course they didn't realize because you're the asshole trading everybody off. Yep. Yeah. There was plenty of talent. You've just given it all away. So yeah. Thanks. Yeah. At this point they're dispersing across the country. I, not maybe not plenty of talent, but there was more talent there than what they ended up with because he was just the worst. Just the more we do these things, the more I just like, he's worse than Himes. He's worse than McFay. He was the worst general manager. He was of our basically, life, he was Ed Lynch with, um, Lynch was a better GM. Oof. Although that's close. It's such a low bar. Because who did Fry draft? I mean, he drafted Ty Griffin in 88. He drafted Cunningham in a total bust. Cunningham, Lance, this was his first round picks. 91, I think, was Doug Glanville, who ended up having a nice career. But that was it. And those are just first round picks. I mean, you know, we had to deal with in the mid-90s. Like, there, nobody was coming up that Fry drafted, right? Maybe he drafted Kevin Ory, Gary Scott, probably. Oh, good. They sucked. He didn't uh, – I mean, he was only a GM for four years, but uh, do you want to know? Really there, this such just, an organization just to, just to piss you off. Do you want to know who the who the pick after Doug Lanville was in the nineteen ninety one? Yeah, who? It was Manny <laughs> one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. But the Cubs took the slappy little uh, guy out of uh, the Ivy League. Yeah. And then after him was Cliff Floyd. They couldn't even pick the Chicago kid. They could have at least picked the Chicago kid. Sean oh, they, uh, you know, they, Jim Henry made up for that 16 years later when a very old and brittle Cliff Floyd contributed to a Cubs division winner when his dad got carted off in an ambulance. Uh boy. The top of this draft, actually, this is funny. This draft only gets good. After, Are you in the '91 draft? Yeah, it only gets good after the Cubs pick 12th. the The top pick is one of the all time flameouts of all time, Brian Taylor, the Yankees. Never the first the pick of the draft. draft. Yeah, B R I E N. Then Braves took Mike Kelly. The Twins took Dave McCarthy. The Cardinals took Dimitri Young. Uh, Brewers took Ken Henderson. Astros got John Burke. It was you know. Oh my God! These are the first picks of that yeah. draft. What a Joe Vitiello, the Royals, seventh. Joey, hey. Joey Hamilton from the Padres. He at least pitched. Pitcher, yeah, yeah. He, he, he made 192 yeah. starts, I think, in the big leagues. So he he, he the Ashby lead, lead the '96 Padres. Mark Smith, the Orioles. Tyler Green of the Phillies. Sean Estes from the Mariners. He had good years and with, o, with the Giants. O3 Cub. Yeah, and an O3 Cub. Shut up, that, that shut out in Cincinnati. That's right. Then Glanville. So now you get to the 13th pick, the guy who would have been in the Hall of Fame except for the whole PED thing, Manny Ramirez, Cliff Floyd, then Ty Hill with nothing, Sean Green, the Blue Jays. Ooh, really good player for a while. And the Mets, the Dodgers. Eduardo Perez, who played a long time in the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. The Angels. Then Al Shirley never made it. Benji Gill from the Rangers was always supposed to be a great player, never was. Pokey Reese from the Reds. I remember Pokey Reese. Um... That's about it. But that, wow. there's a pretty nice run right after Doug. Manny Ramirez, Cliff, right. Sean Green, Eduardo Perez. Doug, not better than any of those guys. But that's who the cut. His career war, uh, 10.9. Manny's, uh, 69.3. Is that better? <laughs> that seems better. 
Hey, well, at least Doug Glenville got us Mickey. I mean, we're not besmirching Doug. He's a hell of a guy. No, right. And he had a. How do you have scouts who are like, well, he's better than this Manny Ramirez guy? Right. We're going to take this guy with the uh, pocket protector. Because Manny was like, he didn't waste like any time. Right. I mean, he was. And Manny wasn't. Manny was from New York. I know he's Puerto Rican. He's in the big leagues three years later. Yeah. And five years later, he's hitting 31 homers and 100. And say he's 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 finishing 12. He's an all star and he's finishing 12th in the MVP and winning a silver slugger at 20. So basically, Jim Fry's last draft is a. Cubs GM, at least, is if you measure first rounders, was his most successful. And even then, yeah. he gets blown out of the water by leagues. By the very next pick. <laughs> so, because at least Doug Glanville was not Lance Dixon or Earl Cunningham or Ty Griffin. Wow. None of those guys, basically, Jim Fry had four draft picks. Well, I'm sorry, Lance Dixon did make it to the pros. So, half of his first round picks made it to the bigs. But uh, that's that's pretty charitable way to describe it. <sighs> Just the more we do this, the more, the worst. Even Herman Franks's seven month reign during the Tribune sale and the strike in '81 couldn't have been as horrific as Jim Fry's four year reign of terror. Yeah, and he also was completely unqualified for the job. He was, and we talked about it. Just like he why? Was good, he, he was we, probably why good manager. did he get the job? Just he never went away. Sense. He got fired in June of, Friday, June thirteenth of eighty six, and then he's back. As you reminded me, I totally forgotten that he was an announcer yeah, with uh, Dwayne Stats in, in eighty seven for one year, and then boom, you're the you know you're the general. You're replacing the guy that just fired you, and you know go ahead and tear apart his whole farm system that he spent six seven years building. And then he hires. I mean, as much as we have affection for Don, right? He's it was a, very uninspired. He's a right? moron. I mean, he was a moron. Yeah. Everything worked in '89. And, and you know, think kids about and- how much Don Zimmer's entire career got rehabbed by being Joe Torre's bench coach in New York. That's you know, point. they went all those World Series, and Don, and Joe loved to give Don credit for all this stuff. But here's the difference: if Don had a terrible idea, Joe just ignored it because he's not the Don's not the manager. Hey, we should hit and run with the bases loaded. No, Don, we're not going to. Right? No. You did it 14 for. times with the Cubs, and it worked once. <laughs> I mean, they hired a guy with a with a plate in his head. Yep. Who had been a former yep. Cub, who would, the thing he did best was get hit in the head without a helmet on. That was what he did. Well, you brought, you brought up, was it our podcast with Kelly in 85? He's one of the few uh, people that you'll find who is baseball profile, his profile as a baseball player looks identical to his profile as a baseball yeah, manager right. from 50 years exactly later. He looked exactly the same his whole life. From the time he was a baby till the time he died, he looked exactly the same. Just a little he's, like, he's like, what would W.C. Fields look like if he was a Cubs manager? I mean, so there's, That's a, it. there's a world out there, right, where the when the Cubs fire Dallas Green, they hire a competent general manager who hires a real manager, and then Rafael Palmeiro gets traded. Takes all that young talent yeah. that's flowing and up. And then they from don't Iowa. they don't mess up their scouting system. Right. They leave it intact. Build the team around Sandberg and Dawson and the they, right way. And then they probably um, find a way to sign, keep Greg Maddox. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know. It it really is. They, the more 
I mean, I've thought about it for years, whole, so it's really not. Thing been but then, you know, there's also the thought that, you know, the, the butterfly flaps its rings and, you know, whatever, and all. It's not the, linear. Then the, tw- the, the 2015 to 2019 <laughs> Cubs never happen. Right. Yeah, I'm just glad we're doing this podcast after 2016 where it did happen because if it didn't, this could really be a Yeah, think how depressing this right. This It might get more listeners if you have a lot of, you know, uh, if you market it towards certain... I mean, I, I mean, this is a thing for another... We could probably figure out how to do remember this crap about this, but, you know, if they don't come back in Game 7, I, what it's is one of those I mean honestly we just wouldn't be doing this it's it one of those so things depressing. that it's, if they, if it's they like, hadn't won I mean if it, it's like if you've ever had a near-death experience or like things where you don't even like to think about you don't even want to go back in your head and think about it because it's just so like yeah because in my head it's like alright well like it would have been better than if they just lost in five games like when I walked out of Wrigley Field that Saturday night and they're down three to one after Lanky shit the tub alright well at least we made it to the World yeah. Series yeah. to come back from three to one and then have a comfortable lead before David Ross and his old balls <laughs> start furting it away and, 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 and Madden kind of brain farts and then like if they blew it after the Davis homer, I don't know. I, I, it's like I shudder. I just shudder to think, like Jesus Christ. I don't even care how they did it. They just did it. So, so much easier to look back on these seasons because I don't think I could do it if they didn't win in 2016. But it's funny. I don't think can, I can like. I mean, you think of the like you think of the Bears. They only won the one Super Bowl, but you can't even conceive of something that happens where they don't win the Super Bowl that year. Right. I mean, they just they beat the shit out of everybody. You didn't have to worry about that. There's no question. Other I mean, than Peyton's fumble in the first quarter. I mean, I guess blah, you blah, could blah, make a case that what if the Patriots don't upset the Dolphins and they do have to face the Dolphins again? But I just, I don't think there's any chance that they don't just that's, beat the shit out of the That's the only theoretical, and even that, I think it's quashed. And I don't then, think you know, the Bulls never, you know, they won six of them. So there's they were no, the, they were the imperfection. The well, I guess the two would be the, the, and then even the 05 White Sox. I mean, they swept. So yes, no, like, they dominated. No drama. You're right. The, the Bulls in ninety. The first, if you're talking about the first one, like the, you know, the Bulls in ninety one after the game one, boom, tore through it. Bears it seems tore like the thing with it. the 05 Sox is that what if what if they had realized that um that I don't remember who the catcher was for the Angels, uh, but he, oh, did, he uh, did catch. Josh Paul. Yeah, right? he did catch he know, did. the ball that AJ reached right. on. But they won that they won that series comfortably too. So you don't even really you don't even really worry they about did. that. Well that's a series in which uh, they played what uh five games, forty five innings, and the starters threw forty four and one third innings. That's like not just old school from the fifties, but you know but you're right. The point there is that they it was never in doubt. after the after the, after the, the first two games. But the Cubs are the, the, the World Series. But the Cubs are the one where they only won once and yep. it almost went horribly, terribly wrong. Fucking killed us, right. Um, but I also you know, I don't really I only get into the what ifs now looking back now as to how it's like, well shit, we would have been it just would have been depressing because it all would have ended with a big wet thud and they wouldn't have won anything. Uh, right. But you know, the, the whole idea well they only won one. Yeah, well I mean they won. We didn't So it's like the eighty five bears. It's like the eighty five bears which we didn't want, but it, it still beats not winning at all, so I'll take it. Right? 
Yeah. I mean, they did win it, right? I didn't dream that. Yeah. This is not like a no, uh, Bobby. Ewing, it's not a Bobby Ewing Dallas uh, season. And they're uh, they're you know they they're loaded now. Their minor league system is so good now. I mean, <laughs> are they as loaded as the 1989, 1990 Cubs? Though I think I I they're gonna. I think I, they honestly. I the only thing I worry about with the current Cubs is too many good players. Yeah, just too. It's many. True. Yeah, it's, we're not even gonna know what to do with all of it. They probably should petition the league to add a add a third team to Chicago, and they half the prospects can go there, put them in the American League, and then those Cubs can play the other Cubs every year in the World Series. That's how the Cubs are there because I that's what everybody says. They can uh, they can play in an empty Soldier Field too. Oh, that was uh, on the Hogan Johns podcast. I didn't Hogue, listen to it. Hogue is a Sox fan, and they were talking about. Um, the rendering, Lori Lightfoot's renderings for the new. You know, the, the two, oh, they're going to the, fix the two, Soldier Field. The too little, too late renderings yeah. from like a week and a half ago. Yeah. And they were basically saying, well, I mean, obviously the Bears are, they long ago made up their mind. And they should. They're going to early sites. That's fine. They should. So he's like, well, what if the, maybe the White Sox could move in there? Then think how Who awesome said that? that? That was Hogue. Think how awesome okay. it would be to have, you know, the, have that, you know, that's like, all right, well, you know, okay, well, they're going to have to strip out like 35,000 right. seats or otherwise. That's some you major can't, reconstruction. You can't, you can't fill the baseball sized park that you have. What the fuck are you going to do with that? So yeah. don't worry about it. It's also not, you know, I don't even know how you would, how you would even contort Soldier Field so that you could, oh my God, a like baseball diamond in it. Just like, I just, we, even if you could and be cost efficient, weeknight baseball games constantly just a little bit south of the loop, yeah, like oh, it'd be a nightmare. Uh, I mean, it's bad enough on Sundays when nobody's going downtown otherwise. So, yeah, no, you, I mean, I, I love the idea that all the sports teams are in the city, and I know it's self serving because I live by Arlington Heights and I do it. You know, I'm old and I, I want to see the Bears out here because it's easier for me. I've always felt it was cool that all. The teams in Chicago were actually in the city limits, but seriously, you're that close to downtown. It's just tough. It's just you know, right downtown, and there's no, there's no east side. It's all water. You can only get there from you know three directions. So. I mean, the, the reality of it is the reason that the bear the it's 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 kind of ridiculous, right? That the charter franchise of the NFL. Has never so, had it's never had its maybe they did in Decatur the first year has no never had their own stadium ever. no clout yep and they've always been a tenant somewhere mm-hmm. and that's because of that like obviously say in the sometime in the forties or even the fifties they had built a stadium in Chicago you know then but they never had any money they could fucking right. do it they that that franchise was run on a string until like fifteen years ago. Pretty much, people don't. And I was even some. I heard somebody going on about, well, you know, once once Virginia's gone, they're probably going to sell the team, and it's probably no, they're not. No, not anymore. They wanted the kids, the grandkids wanted to sell that team. They wanted to force a vote. They wanted to do all this stuff because they never could get any money out of the team because they were play. They were they were literally hand to mouth 
And then all of a sudden, the NFL got signed a huge TV TV contract. And now the fucking money pours in like you can't believe. And the grandkids do not want to sell because they all get money every year. And they're like, no, this It's probably the great grandkids. Like, wait, 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 hold on. It's like, keep it. Keep it. No, this is good. This is a freaking cash cow. And so here they are finally 102 years after they got founded. Yep. They're finally in a position where they can build a stadium. Right, right. And you can't build, you can't go into a major metropolitan city now, especially Chicago, and just build a football stadium. There's no place to put one. So you end up having to go to Arlington Heights. Yeah. So it's not, it's, I mean, it's not a tragedy that they're going to have to move out of the freaking city. No, it's a little overblown. It's fine. It's sad that, all right, they just don't have the space. They're, they're not in the city anymore, but. Uh, for every other reason, it's just... I mean, you kind of you know, wonder why. I, have I guess it was, otherwise. it was... They moved to Soldier Field in 70? Is that right? Yes, after the 70 season. 71 was 71. the first season. Yeah. And that, had, that came with its own set of... You know, it's a it's a historical monument. You talk about Wrigley being a federal landmark. Soldier Field has been forever. Because it was the... For the longest time, it was the only monument to the soldiers of World War One anywhere in the United States. So you couldn't just, like, tear it down and start over. I mean, think about the hoops they had to jump through when they did it 20 years ago. Right. That's why you have the spaceship on the want And they didn't want to move there. Nobody liked Soldier Field. Soldier Field was sucked when they moved in. I've talked about that. My dad my dad never has anything good to say about Soldier Field. Um, and that was it was very disheartening. It was remote. It was not friendly. It was hard to get it after Wrigley Field. It was an absolute drop off. And I don't even know. Did they have? Did was part of the reason they had to move there because? I mean, Wrigley was Wrigley's way too small. No, the league. Uh, they it was too lights, small, right? But then they also no. Need it, it wasn't lights. It was just size. When did I Monday think. Night Football? Because Hallis really wanted to go to Dyke Stadium, but then Dyke uh, Evanstonian NIMBYs wouldn't let him sell beer. So we kind of had a settle for Soldier Field because it was slightly bigger, and it was it was simply the league forced him out of Wrigley Field. It was not his decision. He would have loved to have made more money, but there wasn't that much opportunity around. And he was, it was, you know, again, even though he was the goddamn you know founder of the league and you know Hall of Fame player, uh, Hallis did not have enough clout. He, he probably saw some opportunity maybe in going to Soldier Field, but it was he was kind of forced to do it. So. But if they had stayed at Wrigley, so like they could have never played on they Monday weren't, they Night Football. They couldn't. The league would not let them. Oh, right. Say, there's say that. They could have. They could have never played so on Monday Night Football. That, yeah, they weren't going to be on Monday Night Football. They were so bad. But yeah, you're right. Because that started in 70. Uh, yeah. That's one. I don't know if that was the – actually, I never thought about that. I don't think – I don't think Monday, Monday Night Football was in its infancy. So I don't think yeah. – Ruin our religion. No, really say they had stayed. We'd have had the same shit. Actually, the well, right. Had, you know, maybe they could have helped the Cubs get lights. Early. But the league, but the league did force Hallis out because Wrigley Field was too small. Yeah. Soldier Field was at ten thousand bigger, even though it's still relatively small by NFL. Yeah, because what did Wrigley seat for football? Because they put extra more than baseball. Right? So about forty-five, probably. Yeah, maybe fifty. Well, it's ironic, right? So that when they remodel Soldier Field, they they cut the capacity yeah, to what sixty-two, and that what it seats. Yeah. Maybe they should have, yep. take, should have put lights on it. Could have saved some money there. There were no lights. That's fine. Yeah. Well, it took Dallas, Dallas Green eight but years. But think about it. Light. So if, even if you stay, so you stay in Wrigley Field, you can't even be the late game. 
You have to be Certainly you have to play at Halloween. Right. You have to play at noon. September. Yeah. I mean the TV networks yeah. eventually would have thrown a fit. I never thought about that. I don't think it was lights per se. I do. No, it was, was going to. If it, it, hell it was forced. But it was obviously it would have inevitably become that. It would have been a huge. Yeah. Well, it would have been a big hell yeah. For the would. Bears and the Cubs. The NFL would have been like, all right, get you got to get out. I wonder if they could have done a. the thing. Remember, Notre Dame didn't have lights forever, and so like if CBS right. wanted to it, have they a late have, afternoon game, CBS would have to bring the fucking lights and put them. They up. would pay for the portable lights. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great point, actually. If the some in an alternate universe, if the if the Bears stay in Wrigley, uh, eighty five Bears that happens before lights. So you know, lights came yeah. in eighty eight. So, um, but yeah, that was taken care. Maybe they anticipated it. I think it was mostly capacity. But to your point, though, it is fascinating that Hallis, with all of his clout, was kind of bullied around because he didn't really have it. He just had football. He had the team, and he didn't really. You know, his fa- now his family, his, his idiot grandkids have some clout. They'll probably screw it up. Yeah. But I mean, I you guess you, I guess you wonder then: would it have been? Would they have? Would the, would would they have had to work on a deal with the White Sox? And you know, maybe the Comiskey becomes a dual-purpose football baseball stadium. Nobody wanted that by then. No, we've I mean, gone away you from your that. Own stadium. That would have been the opportunity because Comiskey was supposedly the last of the cookie cutter stadiums. I don't think it's expressly designed for football, but they've had NIU games. They could. Well, Sacks could have done. Bears could have done that. Yeah, Maybe because they don't have to worry about it. And they build the the Vajmikaski Dome. It's going to be that's right, amazing. Well, we started. Uh, we started on football. We, and we ended on football. That's right. Are like, what the hell podcast is this? Ball is in the air, guys. And the 1990 Cubs are very much, in general, kind of how I feel about the current Cubs. Just not that interested. But I think we picked it over pretty well. So, All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andy. Many of us have herpes. 